All right, all of you, get up. We're moving out. Moving out where? You're gonna help us get food and water. What, we work for you now? You're gonna do it because we have a long walk ahead of us. A long walk where? Back to where you came from. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season two episode five Ooh, and found here uh on post show recaps of josh wiggler this is mike bloom uh mike um i'm just going to grab you and yank you into this bush while all the listeners walk by We're playing hide and seek this week as long as it's on a van i'm good <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine, but I'm so happy, Josh, to talk about ooh and found, or as it translates in Korean. Here it is. <laughs> Which me actually means I have to pee. I believe that was the oh, first need- tr- the first title of ooh and found. Yeah. Do you need to pause down? Uh, I'm not sure I'm allowed to let you go to the bathroom here in the studio. I know I am, but a commoner. I don't know if I'm allowed inside the sole gateway hotel that is the studio in which Josh Wiggler podcasts. Wow, whoever is the 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 Mister Manager at the Soul Gateway Hotel is a real piece of work. That's Mister Kim for you. Oh uh, yeah, just dump a bunch of LVPs on this man preemptively. We could spoil that take right now. No, that guy's not coming out of here unscathed. Uh, to, if it ha- makes any you know uh, condolences, I believe that kid probably laid a dump as well in the Soul Gateway <laughs> Hotel when he, he got let in. Did. I think he definitely did. Potentially even an upper decker, but here we are. <laughs> here we are talking about Ooh and found the fifth episode of the second season of Lost Here and Down the Hatch. Of course, a spoiler-filled Lost Rewatch podcast from the perspective of people who have watched all of Lost. So if that does not fit your description as a Lost fan, tune out now. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. Postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch is our apple feed uh mike we're on spotify now too uh post show recaps this is uh relatively new if you uh if you like to listen to your podcasts on spotify post show recaps is now on spotify give it a try tell your friends send them a, a link to our shows on spotify make sure you're following post show recaps on spotify that way you're going to get new episodes as they come out you can download the app it's very easy to do and then you could be listening to us on on Spotify. And you could be playing Spot the Others on Spotify with Mike and I. Oh, I love this. Uh, so many, first of all, so many rhymes. It's I, did, very, I, did, I did my, yeah, I was very in a rhymy mood this morning. Very poetic. But I guess from a broadcaster perspective, is Spotify the tailies and that it took us until season two to mm-hmm. finally find <laughs> yeah, them? Maybe. It could be. It could Ooh, be. Can, Overcast is going to be our Juliet for season three. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Uh, so that's how you could subscribe on all of your podcast apps of choice, but really exciting 
something about Spotify. Uh, and then, of course, we want your feedback. We got feedback to get through later in this podcast. The others section aptly named, given the context of uh, the story this week. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address and the best way to send your feedback in. Plus, we're on Twitter. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. And you could tweet the, to- uh, the, the Twitter account for Post Recaps at Post Recaps as well. Try to get that feedback in no later than Tuesday mornings, ideally Monday evenings. Um, Mike, we're talking about two of your very favorite characters of all time on Lost this week, Jin and Son, and it's the Meat Cute. The Meat Cute episode. Yeah, I like to call it the Meat Quote. The Meat Quote. I wish that you didn't. <laughs> it's not too late to take it back. Nope, I'm giving it to you. I've all right. It, I've got it in the ooh and found, and I'm oh. giving it back to you. It's oh, now gosh. found. Oh, gosh. Uh, but what do you what do you love the you love the Jin and, and Son storylines? How does this one uh, sit for you in your memory coming into this week versus watching it? What are some of the things that you're excited to chew on this week? Because we're going to talk about it all. Well, so we're, as we're talking about the chronology of this season, we talked about this a bit last week with everybody hates Hugo about sort of trying to set the tone for Lost season two after really you know, setting up this grandiose monument in the hatch and the tailies in the first three episodes. It's interesting, Josh. This is the first episode of the season that has no scenes taking place in the hatch. In fact, we're not going to see the hatch for the next couple of episodes as wow, well. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. You know, I think as much as we might have a memory of season two being about the hatch, there are going to be a handful of episodes right here in near like the first third of the season where it's not featured whatsoever. And so... In that regard, it feels a little bit like a callback to season one in a myriad of ways. You know, we have Jin and Sun separated for the first of many, many times over the course of Lost, and we have them separated in the flashbacks as well. And it's an interesting choice, right? Because in House of the Rising Sun and Ooh in translation, we sort of had the Rashomon of seeing these story, the same narrative from two different perspectives. Now we're just flat out seeing two different narratives from two different perspectives. And I guess it's also a symbology of their characters slowly growing apart, both physically, but definitely not emotionally. But at least for me, was like a hearkening back to some of those more emotional character-based stakes from the first season, rather than, you know, the big question mark in the room. Uh, not that question mark, but yeah, the question mark later. that is the hatch. Yeah, uh, I I really love the flashback this week. I really love the the Jin and Son story this week. I think is is really fun. Look, is this uh, uh, a huge mover and a shaker of an episode of Lost? Definitely not. Uh, could you throw it into like the skippables as as we talked about? Probably if like you're doing a fast binge, certainly. Uh, like if you just don't have time to watch every single episode of Lost, but if you do have time to watch every single episode of Lost. I think that this is what I would call like a vibes episode. Mm. Uh, like this is just like one of those episodes of Lost that like it's just enjoyable to watch for me. Uh, like there's a lot of different character interaction. There's a ton of Mr. Echo, which is super fun because yeah. in the grand scheme of things, we actually don't get a lot of Mr. Echo on Lost. Yeah, so he comes any, out of his stable in this episode. You know, any Echo I will take. Uh, so we get a lot of really good Mr. Echo here. There's some really clever writing here as well, like some clever other 48 days setup. Um, the Goodwin scene I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, and I just think that the love story between Jin and Son and like seeing what their priorities were and where they were when they were younger people in their life uh, contrasted with like what they're doing in the name of love on the island this week 
where Sun is feeling, um, you know, she's lost something. And it, that's like a literalization of what she feels she's lost with Jin, not just that Jin left on the raft mission, that Jin might be in danger and that Jin might be in danger with their relationship still not fully reconciled after everything that happened in season one. And Jin feeling like he he lost Sun. He can't lose Michael now. Like he can't lose another person uh, and really going at, you know, just like being like the best friend to this guy who like locked him up and like, you know, hit him with an ax at one point, <laughs> uh, you know, so like really just like uh, showing himself to be uh, really the son of Mr. Kwan, like living up to his legendary father. Uh, I also love and, and you mentioning the fact that there's no hatch in this episode. I mean, I guess that there's like a little bit of Dharma in that we start off at the arrow post. Um, but there's no Swan Station this week. This is such a jungle-centric episode of yeah, Lost. Yeah, it really is. We're really in the jungle this week, and I missed that. I really love that. Uh, it's got me very hyped because I'm going to be in the jungles uh, of Oahu uh, fairly soon here with the Lost 2020, the Lost Con that's coming up. Uh, and this this got me really fired up for that because this is just like a very scenic episode of Lost uh, and it, it feels like a minute since we since we've gotten all that. I should also say uh, registration on the Lost Con uh, coming to a close relatively soon. April eighth is the cutoff for registration for the Lost Con. Dates on that May twenty first to twenty fourth, twenty twenty. If you are interested in celebrating the ten year anniversary of the series finale with myself, I'm going to be out there. It seems like some lost cast members may be out there, though. Uh, don't, don't book your trip because of lost cast members. Book, book it because trip. of Josh. Book your trip because of me. No, don't do that because <laughs> of me either. Too much pressure on me, but I'll be there. It's going to be really fun. You should do it because if you're enjoying the jungle scenery of Lost and if you're enjoying like the communal aspect of Down the Hatch, uh, both of those things will be very much literalized when you when you get to the Lost Con. All of which is to say, I I just love sort of like the adventurous quality of this episode. Mm. Like we're real, we're really living in the island this week, and I feel like it's been a minute since we've had that. So it was really refreshing to get back to that this week, e- even if the story is kind of thin. I feel like there's just a lot like. It, it, it's maybe not a great podcast episode. We'll we'll see. But like, it's a real visual feast this week. Ooh, yeah. it found. Well, and I think, uh, well, speaking of which, first off, this is our last Ooh episode. It completes the Ooh yeah, duology. Yeah, but we'll probably just uh, toss an Ooh onto all the Quan episodes. Well, like I mean, that. do we think that they ran out? So they have ooh, in translation and Ooh and found. Like, do you think they just ran out of puns to use Lost with? Absolutely not. There's no way. It's limitless, right? Like yeah. I think that there's so many different things that you can you can tag lost onto. Uh ooh, cat. Yeah. <laughs> the lost cat? Like lost cat, like the, a sign. <laughs> like the thing you put on the telephone pole. Wow. Yeah. Uh maybe they were you're right. Maybe they did uh, run out of lost <laughs> I don't know. I think ooh cat has legs. Four legs. Ooh cat. Four legs. Yeah, I have two ooh cats waiting outside my door right now, wondering what the hell is going on in this podcast room. Uh, all right, let's talk about the episode. I think that there I, I actually think this might be a really fun podcast. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh let's go forth into the jungle to talk about ooh and found, directed by Stephen Williams prolific director here on Lost and written by Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof. Look at them coming down from the mountain to write uh, a a sort of random Gin and Sun episode in the early going of the season. Yeah, and I mean, to your point earlier, I do feel like the writing is very interesting and I think 
this is a, a an episode that sets up a lot of stuff. So I guess from a can- canonical perspective, it's important in that regard, even if the plot itself is a bit light. So I could understand why these two guys want to sort of handle the setup themselves so that when we do get this stuff coming up in the next couple days or a couple of episodes that, you know, people are going to be able to hit those balls off the yep. tee that Damon and Carlton set up for them. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's great. Uh, again, I, I, the Goodwin things just I think it's genius. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, our down the hatch series Bible entry of the week again, of course, uh, a little bit off. Uh, as it often is, this is written by the great Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell. Uh, this is the Down the Hatch series Bible entry for, wait for it, drum roll please, da 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 Mr. Echo. Uh, tall, muscular, and incredibly intimidating, Echo is a physical specimen unlike any other scene on Oceanic 815. His physique is misleading, though, as Echo is actually a kind and gentle Nigerian priest! Racked with the guilt of being unable to redeem his drug-dealing brother, Yemi, Echo spent years trying to atone through spreading the gospel, and and he finally reached his peace with his brother's death. Little does Echo know that the island has a secret from him. Yemi's body is on the beachcraft that was found by John Locke, and finding it will open old wounds. And some new wounds as well, courtesy of the smoke monster. I mean, this is basically entirely accurate. Yeah, though I would say that, you know, him, quote unquote, spreading the gospel uh, was not necessarily he what He does Echo- a little bit. He does a little bit. Like, he does it with Charlie. He'll do it with Claire. Uh, it, but but there's a moment in this episode, actually, where he, he alludes to his, uh, his faith in a way that I think is actually more telling of where he ultimately lands with it. Uh, and it was something I had never caught before uh, that, that I, really, uh, I, I really was tickled by. Um, Oh, man. This is a great Mr. Echo episode. Yeah. Uh, AAA in full force in this week's episode. Now, by where he lands, you mean over there by the trees, right? That is exactly what I mean. You get to see a little bit of uh, the, the scenery from uh, his final episode in this, uh, where there, when, when he and Jin reach the stream and Michael shows up. Like, that's exactly where uh, Mr. Echo is when the monster's, like, creeping over his shoulder in his final episode, and then Locke and his party show up, and they're like, hey, hello, Mr. Echo! what Locke says uh so i don't know how they got to that part of the island in that episode or just like things kind of look the same sometimes what do you yeah i mean listen i mean we talked about the cross-country uh stamina of the 815 Uh, apparently the tailies do not have that stamina maybe they're held back by sawyer or maybe they're just sort of got turned around due to the fact that their tracker is indeed gone but yeah it's gonna take them two episodes to get where as you pointed out you know Locke's gonna be able to get to the same area in like a fourth of an episode all right, let's get into the episode. We are going to summarize the episode plus eight sounds along the way. I understand it might take a moment before we get to our first sound. So a lot of sounds from Mike and I in the meantime. What's your best sound that you've got at your disposal, Mike Bloom? <laughs> that is definitely, if that's your best sound. That's, the, that's the door. Oh, my door God. Door to the hotel. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't want to do my best sound because it's an impression of uh, the boy in the hotel and uh, it's just bad ASMR for everybody. Um, All right. The episode begins. Sun is at the beach with Claire. The waves are smashing in. They're just off for a nice, peaceful walk. And Claire's trying to reassure Sun, like, I know it's been a little bit since the raft launched and we've got the bottle and that's a little alarming, but I think everything's going to be fine. And then Sun's just like, hey, uh, don't care about that anymore. Pressing news, breaking news. 
important stuff. My wedding ring. It's gone! So when they said it's four days, has it been four days since they found the bottle or it's been four days since the raft launched? I would guess four days since the raft launch would be would be my belief. And you could certainly look this up on Lostpedia, but we've got a podcast to record as we're going here and I don't have the dexterity to both look up Lostpedia right now and talk at the same time. Um, but I believe that it's four days uh, since the raft launch would be my understanding. Because yeah, otherwise, you could really fault Sun here for taking more than half a week for her to notice <laughs> that her wedding ring was gone. Yeah, I think so. Um, man, so maybe the, this is part of the reason why this episode has landed with me better this this go around is I very recently lost my wedding ring. Uh, and like I've I've had like near misses with it before. Uh, the very first morning, I was a married man. I was taking a shower. I had my wedding ring on. I've never been a jewelry person. I was so excited. Uh, life is going to be different now. Life's going to be amazing. The rest of my life is unfolding. I was in the shower scrubbing my hair as I was just having all these great happy thoughts. And then my wedding ring like flew off my hand. <laughs> Uh, and like, uh, started like dangling down to the ground and I like, I slapped it out of the air and smacked it into my big fat naked thigh, uh, and prevented (laughs) it from falling down the drain. And it was like the scariest thing that had ever happened. And from that moment forward, I had like a very strict rule of, I would never wear my ring doing anything water related ever again. Um, but I had like an oversized ring. My ring was just too big for Mm. my hand. Uh, and so I, I would often take it off and like put it somewhere like by my 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 night like table like by my bedside uh and like somewhere along the way in the month of november and into december the ring just went missing <gasps> it just it just it it evaporated in air were there any hobbits celebrating birthday parties around it's not it's not impossible and like and this wasn't like I didn't pull a jack where like I hid it from my wife. Like we were both in the the hunt together. We're like where the hell did it go? We were both so upset about it. Uh, as uh, the ending was not quite as happy as it was for Sun, where she's actually able to find the genuine article. We had to have a replica made, uh, and so far it's not rattling around in my sock drawer. It's perfectly sized. I haven't had to take it off once, which is fantastic. Uh, but I, the the fear that comes with that, because there's so there really is so much meaning imbued in your wedding ring, right? Uh, having it like this is something I could speak. I can't speak to being a parent the way that you can, Mike. But I've been married for a long time now, and I've been in a relationship with Emily for even you know much longer than that. You know, almost twice the the length of our marriage, I think. Uh, and uh, you know, she means the world to me, and our marriage means the world to me. And she's my best friend on the planet, and I'm very very lucky to to get to wake up every day with her. Uh, and uh, like a lot of that is just like kind of like symbolized in this this stupid thing on your hand. So I like I really related to that line that Sun has later in the episode, which is like it's just a thing, but it's not. Like it's yeah. more than that. And to lose it's going to drive you crazy in the real world. Imagine losing it on a freaking tropical island with smoke monsters while your spouse is out at sea and maybe dead. Well, it's a lot. It's that latter part that I think really hits home for her. Is that you know her wedding ring is probably the last emotional connection that she has with Jin. I think maybe had his fate not been so demure to the point where she found the bottle from the raft, then maybe it would just be like, oh, no big deal. When we get off the island, I'll just have another one made. But I think it's just sort of a piling on top of the fact that she's not sure what's 
his deal is she's fearing for the worst. And then on top of that, she lost this meaning of their relationship. And that makes her really feel like she's lost him both physically and emotionally. Yeah. So it's going to be the, the cornerstone of the episode. And like, it's a little hit or miss for many people. And I oh, told that the diamond that. on the ring, the cornerstone. Yes, that's right. And I think for many people, like they're going to be like, ah, whatever. It's the sun loses her ring episode. But for me, I was like, oh, lost meets you where you are. This yeah. is, this is very palpable for me right now. Uh, and then the flashbacks are great. And we, we start getting into them here. Um, and like you say, it's kind of a dual flashback. Uh, again, we, we, we will never get just a solo gin flashback for the rest of lost. All of Jin's flashbacks will be associated with Sun, uh, as is the case with the meet cute flashback here, where Sun is getting dressed. She's putting shoes on. She's got like these great high heels. Her mom does not like the shoes. Take those shoes off. What if the man you're about to meet is shorter than you? And this is how we're starting to get guided into the idea that Sun is uh, being set up with the matchmaker, matchmaker. Uh, she's got to she's got to find a man. Uh, she's a silver. Don't you want to find a man before you're a bronze, says uh, Sun's mother. Yeah, and I mean, we got a little bit of a sense, I think, especially in U in translation about, like, Korean societal norms. We get it here as well, especially from Sun's perspective as to what the woman is supposed to do. We'll get this a little bit with Jin talking to his buddy as well of, like, a woman's not supposed to take care of the man. The woman shouldn't be taller than the man. The woman is being classified in, you know, medals that are affiliated with Olympic medals. Hurley's disappointed that she didn't go to the Olympics, but at least Sun's a silver in the category of a possible match. So, I mean, it's really showing how it's great for the character that she'll eventually break out of those norms as well, both on the island and off the island. But I think it does a great job of really setting up, you know, the box that she's in at this moment, the jewelry box, if you will. Yeah, uh, not the glass ballerina box, right? No, not yet. We're going to wait until we get into a boat for that one. Yeah, we'll get into a boat for there. Uh, So she's going to be set up with somebody this week. She went to college, didn't find a husband there. I guess that's what she was supposed to do. Uh, And very clearly, her her awful father, Mr. Paik, uh, has decided it's time for you to find a husband, son. Uh, So that's what son's storyline is going to be about in the flashback here. Meanwhile, uh, Jin is getting getting spiffy looking looking sharp looking fresh as he's getting ready for a very important job interview uh while his roommate is like why are you so worried about this when you should be worried about love yes he's the toulouse of this moulin rouge-esque situation Mm -hmm. uh maybe he's as short as john leguizamo in that movie but yeah i was thinking he's like the fabrizio of this titanic Ooh, I like that as well. Whatever is like the the fun, exotic character with an accent, I think, mm-hmm. is sort of his uh, his role here. But yeah, so he's uh, also consulting probably something that John Locke would have gotten into if he was Korean, Josh, a destiny book to figure mm. out who Jin's mate would be. Right. Uh, and so he's trying to figure out what love is going to look like for Jin. And the answer is love will look orange. So that means Jin's going to stake out in front of the to the, ta- the spray tan salon in Seoul <laughs> until the right woman comes along. Yeah. Oh, God. Love will look orange. There's a lot there. Uh, again, uh, for me, that works. I met Emily at Syracuse University. Go orange. Uh, so love looks orange for me. Mm. Uh, there's some orange sightings in this episode. There's going to be the woman in the orange dress that Jin sees at the end of the episode, who is not Sun, but she's like right in front of Sun. Uh, and also Sun and Jay Lee are going to be uh, drinking orange juice. Oh, yeah. I was wondering... 
Do you think maybe in a f- an alternate universe, Jin falls in love with an orange? <laughs> an orange? Yeah, like just an orange. Like oh, a- I thought you meant like an orange, like the woman named an orange. No, that'd be interesting as well. I mean, that'd be quite literal for the Destiny book, but it just gives new meaning to Locke eating that orange in the pilot. Like he just devoured Jin's poor wife without even realizing it. Yeah. Oh, put a pin in that. I have some thoughts about uh, sentient uh, vegetation and fruit. <laughs> Okay, I'll very questionably put a pin in it. No, I had a, I had a thought. I had a thought. <laughs> All right, so Jin is getting ready for the job interview. He's like, listen, I don't need love right now. What I need are goals. I need to get promoted. I need to get a great job. That's how I get respected uh, rather than being the son of a fisherman. Uh, which is a great Lindelof in the making. People send your Lindelofs, and we just don't have any. What's the son of a fisherman? Yeah, like it really writes itself. Uh, but Jin thinks that this job interview, it's going to be very important for his life. Uh, the guy's like, all right, cool, but maybe like you look fantastic. Think about cutting off the tag. He's like, oh, but what if I, if I cut off the tag? I can't return the tie. Uh, I love Jin sort of being like the Nick Miller from New Girl in this situation. I kind of wish we saw more of Jin pre-Sun to get more of like, what was cheapskate Jin really up to with his ruddy buddies, you know, in their little ramshackle apartment in Seoul over these past couple years? He's crafty, you know, he's making it work. He's making it work with what he's got. Uh, It's the great line of uh, the guy, his roommate being like, what should I do if love calls? And uh, Jin just like pauses for a beat, then smiles and says, tell it to wait. He's got this great lingering smile as he walks out the door. And it's like, Daniel Day Kim, my goodness, my uh, goodness with that smile. He's just so, he's so charming. Oh, uh, uh, he's so charming. But it's, it's amazing. And it's interesting, though, to compare that idea to House of the Rising Sun when we first see Jin in flashback and he keeps insisting to Sun to be patient and, you know, wait. And this concept of waiting works on sort of both ends of Jin in this relationship. And, of course, the literal idea of time and that it's watches he's asked to transport. Like, I feel like the idea of time and timing is so inextricably linked with Jin. Yeah, uh, it's just great. I love it. Super fun. Uh, Daniel Day Kim is just the best. Uh, on the island, speaking of Daniel Day Kim as Jin, we see from his perspective, he's in the arrow. The tailies are talking. Um, Jin can't understand what they're saying, obviously. Michael is listening, and he's trying to assure Jin, saying, you're going to be with Sun again very soon. Yeah, and, that, and that's a really nice mirroring to the waterfall scene that we're going to get, where even though Michael might not think that Sawyer's his friend, the, the weird relationship between Michael and Jin, they're oddly comforting to one another in their hour of need in this episode. Absolutely, absolutely. And at this point, I don't think Michael sees like a queer path to finding Walt, um, so he's able to like be a little calmer. Um, that's going to change very, very soon. Uh, Michael and Sawyer are going to start wondering, like, what are they doing over there? What are they talking about? Is it Sawyer who says, I think they're going to eat us? Yeah, which, <laughs> I don't know, maybe he expects them to see, like, cartoon style when they imagine, you know, people as meat. They're imagining them <laughs> as a bunch of oranges that they want to devour. <laughs> yeah, some citrus that they just want to plow. Uh, but Anna Lucia is going to come over and say, get up. We're moving out. <laughs> moving, moving out. <laughs> moving out. We're moving out. Uh, moving out would also be a uh, very good Lindelof here. Uh, the tailies have decided we're going to get food. We're going to get water. We're going to go on a real long walk and we're going to meet up with your peeps. We're going to join up with the rest of Oceanic 815. The Odyssey begins. Yeah, I thought this lasted for longer at more episodes, Josh. I'm surprised this is only going to last this episode and until the end of Abandon next week. Well, I think it feels longer because this arc is, stre- is stretched out pretty far. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
you know, it's already we're already two episodes deep into the Taylor stuff. Uh, this, you know, like I guess we're actually this is I three mean, episodes if you count deep three. Into the I mean, yeah. I guess we're two episodes into not being in the hole with the Taylor stuff. Right, right, right. I mean, I think like if you if you count it at orientation is where we really start getting like some character beats from the tailies themselves. If you start it there, here we are three episodes deep into that. Um, but the the journey is going to start here. It's going to conclude next week. But then we're going to get the other 48 days. Uh, and then we're going to get collision. So like, that's going to be like a hostage situation. So we're going to be really landlocked with, with the tailies. So I think that this odyssey does feel long, even though like in terms of like real time within the universe of the show, it's actually, uh, it's relatively quick. Yeah, I, I guess it is. Sort but it's of- going to be a lot to talk about over the course of four weeks. I mean, yeah. we're going to be talking about like a, essentially a month of the tailies just being like, oh, yeah. everything. Basically just a month of tailies in the jungle <laughs> on the yeah. move. And led by them is Anna Lucia, who is just the harshest drill sergeant ever, as we're yeah, about to experience. Tough. She's tough. She's tough. Uh, so they leave the arrow. Uh, Anna leads the way out. Uh, here comes Mr. Echo with his gnarly shirt. I think we're going to talk about his gnarly shirt a little later. Uh, Sawyer is talking to Michael and saying, like, I want to stage a prison break. Got to get out of here. Now's the time. Let's bust it. Uh, Michael's not feeling it. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to know why everybody's so on edge right now. Ask Jimmy Fallon, Michael. That's my advice to you. <laughs> uh, she, he's saying to Anna, like, what, what's got you? What's got everybody so crazy? Why are you all freaking out? Uh, she says, well, maybe we can swap stories on the road. And Michael's like, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll kill you in an episode yeah. called Two for the Road. You give me The more lip you give me, Anna Lucia, the more bullets I'm going to put in your stomach. It's really just the one. Uh, but I guess Anna's going to institute the buddy systems. Like, everybody in pairs. We got some stuff we got to do before we go. We need some fruit. Uh, so Libby and Michael, go get the fruit. Uh, Echo and Cindy. Uh, hi, Cindy, by the way. Yeah. officially gets married. Married. Officially gets named. She may get married. Who knows? We yeah. don't know. Cindy's whole life is a big mystery to us. Uh, Cindy and Echo are just going to go off. We don't really know what they're going to do. Maybe get more fish. I think. Uh, I think and- they're going to start tying boomerangs off to sticks to make more weapons. Ah oh, man, the boom. The boomerang stick is so stupid. I love anyway. it. I love it. Ugh. It looks like Jin is trying to defeat the others with a hockey stick. And well, it's just that's such what a fun I was going to say. Is like. Did, like the 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 eight fifteen has a golf course. Did the Tailies have like a secret field hockey team? Uh, like is, there, is there, oh, like, Anna Lucia would be the most badass hockey player. She would take no prisoners. Like she'd be spending all her time in the foul box. There's like a definitely like a deleted scene of the Tailies hitting the golf course once the eight fifteen and Tailies uh, finally team up and like Anna Lucia happy Gilmoreing her way to the top. Yeah, exactly. Just getting angrier and angrier, yet she does the best in the island open. And maybe that's why Michael kills her, is because he's she's a much better <laughs> yeah, golfer than he could off. ever be. He's, he's really the, he's he gives brings a new meaning to Shooter McGavin. Oh God. I hate I hate these hockey sticks. Oh, they're they drive me nuts. What's the utility of them? What are you gonna do? You like go and hit somebody with them and the boomerang's like gonna like get wedged and like fall off and like now you're all clumsy. I like no, it'll always come back to them though. <laughs> know if it'll come back to them with that format oh god i hate it so much i really do i think it's just, it's so stupid it's like well the tailies have to work with what they've got they were lucky enough to have a huge crate of boomerangs <laughs> crashed in yeah, their section the of the boomerang the smuggler really you know he smuggles two things dolls and boomerangs and yeah. just they happen to divide themselves amongst so the, the, the people on like, 815 
What are we going to do with it? Well, we're going to tie him to the edge of these sticks. Yeah, Echo was able to make a machete later on. He couldn't yeah, just make a bunch of machetes. <laughs> nope. Only one machete. The rest or are s- boomerangs on sticks. Or spears. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, the, 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 the boomerang sticks is just driving me nuts. Uh, uh, Anna and Bernard are going to go fishing. And then uh, Jin's like, ooh, fish. Yeah. And they're like, the guy knows how to fish. You should take him. So just don't ask him. him to pee on anything. Don't ask him to pee on anything. Um, Sawyer who has already stated maybe we should stage a prison break, is left unattended. Why doesn't he just stage a prison break? I don't Every man know. for himself. It was a rifle, maybe not a rifle choice for him to be left unattended, but for him to not be given a task, because Anne Lucia does not trust him for beans at this point. Like, she trusts Michael. They and Michael had the conversation off screen where they seem to get on the same page. Jin seems like somebody who... At least, like, Sawyer could vouch for. But this guy right here is the least trustworthy out of the group. So, like, just let him bleed for a little bit and and have that be the best thing that he can do at the moment. But I agree. Have at least somebody to watch over Sawyer to make sure that, like, he doesn't go back to the arrow and, like, light it on fire or go run to the others and warn them about what's going on. Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. But maybe Sawyer is because he's a secret softy. Secret softy. You know, he doesn't want to leave his friends. Well, his shoulder's very softy at this point. It's very mushy, yeah. Uh, At the 815 uh, Beach, Sun is looking everywhere for her ring, and Jack notices. This is one of the things I love about this episode, Mike, is there's a lot of, like, stop and chats, right? There's just, like, lots of, like, great character interactions with Sun. We're getting, like, a real spectrum uh, of people just, like, having, like, very simple human moments in this episode. This is, like, one of the most, like normal human like you can understand that jack is not like the worst person in the world type of moments with jack in a long time or at least like not the most like charged up person in the world because he's always so intense like jack just like stops what he's doing is like what's going on son since my wedding ring's gone she's so sad and jack's like i lost mine once and he tells her the story about how uh, he he thought like uh, it was in the garbage disposal. He like took apart pipes in the bathroom. He was convinced it went down the drain. Very triggering for me. Uh, and he says he never told his wife. He went to a jeweler. He had a replica made. Uh, I think, by the way, the fact that um, that Sarah never found out that Jack lost his wedding ring um, really is indicative of how estranged they were at that point in time. Because to get a wedding uh, ring replicated is no small feat. Like, it took a solid three weeks for, for me to get my wedding ring remade. Um, so that's like three weeks that Sarah would be living with Jack and not noticing that his ring is gone. Do you think Jack was just wearing gloves for those entire three <laughs> weeks at every single moment? Yeah, it's just a spinning records, too. Yeah, but, uh, but it's an interesting conversation. And I agree. I mean, that- I think that, like, you see, you know, traces of it in the hunting party, uh, you know, a few episodes from now, where, like, clearly he and Sarah just, like, are not seeing each other because he's working so much. Uh, so it makes sense, but I think it just, it really speaks to that. I think it further enhances that idea of, like, uh, once they got married, they were just, like, living on different planets. Yeah, and I think that, from Jack's perspective, because I believe Kate's the only other person he's told at this point that he was married, I think. Uh, so that's an interesting sort of vulnerability from Jack that he's showing. I mean, I think the fact that he talks about the the ring rattling around in his drawer sort of symbolizes, like, a ghost that still exists in that machine. I love... You talked about this before, that this storyline, while a bit on the flimsy side, is going to be a nice sort of carousel of characters where we're going to get 
Jack's response to how to find a missing ring, and we're going to get Locke's response to how to find a missing ring, and they cannot be more diametrically yeah, opposed. Yeah, right? like Jack is like doing like technical work. He's like going. He's he's like doing surgical work on his house, uh, and Locke's is going to be like, yeah, I just don't do anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, Jack let it is, find me. Jack is going to pursue the answer, whereas Locke's going to wait for the answer and feel like the universe will align and bring it to him. And I think it's interesting in that, you know, that method is ultimately more successful. Again, maybe speaking to the whole faith over science wins out in that debate. Also, it's nice to have Jack and Son reconnecting as well, considering how important she was to him, particularly during the Boone period near the latter portion of season one. So, yeah, it's a nice little moment from Jack. It's the only moment we're going to get from Jack, but a nice little nugget to experience from his character where he really does surprisingly open up about a very troublesome part of his life. Yeah, I think it speaks... I, I really lo- I think that the Jack and Son relationship is uh, one of the great subtle relationships of Lost. I think, like, you, there's so many great character dynamics on the show that this is not going to be one that comes front of mind to most people. But track it across the series. They've got a lot going on. Uh, the, the, the Jack and Son relationship is it has a really full arc, I feel like. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of times where, where Jack just, like, really sees the value in, in Son... Uh, and wants to be a friend for her and just like kind of wants to be there for her. Uh, and I think that Sun puts a lot of trust in Jack as a result. They're going to have like a bit of a falling out because of uh, the escape from the island. And, right. you know, Jin kind of sort of not really, but maybe blowing up in a boat accident. Uh, it's not even an accident. Uh, just blowing up in a boat, Mike. Uh, she's not going to be happy about that. Um, but it's uh, it's really that's like the big speed bump, I feel like, uh, for for the two of them. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to think, like, did Jack tell Kate that he was married? I don't know that he's told anybody on the island yet. I, I thought Obviously, that he, like, he had, like, that big moment with Desmond. Um, oh, you know what? Maybe, it was, maybe I was confusing it for Anna when... the Lucia conversation, right? Yeah, it, it was that. And maybe I was confusing it for when Kate and Sawyer did I Never, and she said she was married. Yeah, she was married. She was married. Um, all right. So back at the Tailey section, uh, Jin, Anna Lucia, and Bernard are, are out in the ocean trying to fish. And Anna and Bernard are working real hard, and they're not thrilled with Jin's work ethic because he's just like sitting there slowly getting things done, but not really getting anything tangibly done by just optics. And she's like, do you want to help us out? Help us out. It's weird because Anna Lucia, she's supposed to be born and raised in LA, right? Because there's a distinct, you want to help us out over here? That's Uh very New York all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to help? Do you want to help? And uh, it's very New York. Uh, and Jin says something back to her, and she says, "Does it look like I speak Korean?" Uh, and Jin says, "Well, if you had the Mike Bloom translator, things would be much better here." Yeah. Uh, but he just stands up. He like looks at her, like stone cold. Looks at her, throws out the net, pulls it back. Three huge fish. Yeah, fish. And this is again teaching that lesson of like good things come to those who wait. If you adamantly pursue something oftentimes your effort is what's going to screw you out of that goal whereas sitting patiently and waiting is going to be the optimal thing to get what you want yeah uh Jin's the best i'm really enjoying Jin in this episode i love Jin and son in this episode look at us i'm like the kwan stan in the house right now. yeah buddy come over yeah. to the dark side or no, the it's, kwan side it's not dark it's light it's beautiful yeah it's sunny uh, we go to another flashback, and this is Jin's going to be uh, at the job interview with Douchey McDoucherston, uh, Mr. Kim, uh, proprietor of the, the Soul Gateway Hotel, or at least he's going to be Jin's boss, uh, the Mr. Manager here. 
who's looking over Jin's resume. Apparently, Jin has a pretty impressive resume. He worked at a, a recent... He was recently working at a, a good hotel where he got a promotion from within. Apparently, that doesn't happen very mm. often. I like how uh, his resume was done in an Excel table, too. Like, it's a little jank, but it's very well organized. So I'm not sure what resumes looked like in the early 2000s, whether that was sort of apropos or not. Uh, I didn't study the resume too closely, so I'll have to take your word for it. Uh, but I would have hired Jin on the spot anyway. Uh, like he Mr. does. Mr. Kim does that as well, uh, but not without just like dragging Jin uh, and being like very classist. Uh, uh, very topical as we're, as we're watching this episode just a couple of weeks after the Parasite Oscar win, uh, which is dealing a lot with like elitism and, uh, and, and class disparity. Uh, and I think not uh, coincidental that it, it won, you know, the Best Picture Oscar as these are universal themes, but we're seeing them embodied in an episode set in Korea in this episode. I thought that that was pretty fun. Uh, fun is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I think interesting. I, I, I think I think it's just kind of compelling that that that's where we're at here. Um, but he's like he's like, you know, lambasting Jin for being from a fishing village. I thought I smelled fish on you. I saw the tag sticking out of your tie. Uh, and as soon as he like asserts his dominance over this guy uh, and gives him the job, he gives him the job under like very strict conditions. You start now, you work rain or shine, you never ask for a raise or for time off. Uh, and under no circumstances do you ever open the door for people like you. Uh, Ooh, yeah, and, and, and Jin gives like a momentary look. You can see just a glint of it in Daniel Day Kim's eyes, where he gives yeah. like a WTF look to Mister Kim, then realizes the situations he's in. And you know this happens a lot when you like first get accepted to a job, right? You get asked all these questions, and you're like, "Yep, yes, I will do that," because you know if you say no, there's a good chance that you won't get this job, especially with you know how this is literally opening doors for Jin. So he's able to sort of swallow his pride to be able to do this even though we see later on that, that pride is going to come up a bit and he's going to upchuck it uh you know right at the the gateway of the gateway hotel i mean it'd be legendary if he just threw up in mr kim's face if he just literally upchucked yeah especially if it was fish you know what i quit now <laughs> you smell like fish yeah who smells like fish now um yeah i mean Jin, he wants the job he thinks it's going to be good for his life trajectory and i think uh to Jin's credit once he once he really finds himself at like an uncrossable line morally he's gonna he's gonna throw he's literally gonna you know take the hat off and take off the gloves keep the coat i noticed yeah well <laughs> it's a good coat it's a Hang good it's coat. a good coat and also i think that that's we're we'll talking about it later on but i think that's a nice symbol of like the quote-unquote costume he's being dressed up as yeah, you know it's sure. not exactly what he's comfortable with and so he's disposing of it to show who he actually is yeah uh all right back with the tailies libby and michael are together uh she's apologizing for the treatment the rough treatment uh their stay at the tailie hotel uh is more like hostile the movie hostile uh, it's a hostile uh, situation for Mike. Yeah, Michael's and, uh, Yelp review is two bullets <laughs> out of five. Yeah. Uh, and she said, I'm sorry about throwing your friends into the pit. He said, oh, friends. Never thought about them that way. I guess what? one of them is. That's a little rude. Sawyer called Michael his friend last episode. Yeah, I know, but he doesn't have to return the favor. Just because Sawyer says, Mike, you're my friend, doesn't mean Michael has to return it when, A, Sawyer is constantly calling Michael Mike, and he didn't even ask for that. Uh, and two, he's the jerk. He's a jerk. He's a bad jerk sometimes. And yeah, we know better about Sawyer and Sawyer's going to have time to prove himself. But like, 
Just because Sawyer says Michael is his friend doesn't mean Michael has to return the favor. Uh-huh. Michael has the right to be like, sorry, man, like you're such a jerk. If you could prove yourself to stop being such a jerk, maybe I'll reconsider. Uh, but I don't even necessarily owe you that. You've made your choices. Michael should at least give up the friendship bracelet then that Sawyer made. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting something off my chest. Here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, she's, Libby says about Sawyer, I've never seen someone so scared in my life, and I know scared. Yeah. Uh, that was, was a gr- great line. Th- well, it's so interesting, because I don't know at what point, you know, what they were sketching out about Libby at this point. Was this referring to the other 48 Days stuff, or is this a furthering of, like, her very gray past about being institutionalized or being, you know, a therapist or a psychologist. Right, 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 right. right. She's supposed to be, she's supposedly a clinical psychologist. Uh, But we also know that she's institutionalized at one point and her backstory is always going to be something of a mystery to us. Uh, But if you take the, the therapist part at face value and assume that she, uh, that she has that kind of training, uh, it's 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 fascinating that she'd be able to look at Sawyer and kind of see him for who he is. That he is somebody that's so scared that every time he's like confronted with a moment of goodness, he has to be an asshole. Uh, so I, I really like that assessment of Sawyer. I've never seen someone so scared in my life. Uh, I think it's an exaggeration, but I think that it's it's not uh, terribly far off the mark. Uh, at least as far as like Sawyer is like he's afraid to be who he really can be, which is like a good functional human being. Yeah, and also I think they caught him at a very fearful moment, too, where, like, he's in a brand new situation, has no idea who these people are or what they're going to do to him. So I feel like if she, like, tracked him in 815, it'd be a different situation than here, where he's not only scared for his life, but he's also scared of, you know, reverting back to the old Sawyer and reaching out to people, you know, declaring that he's friends with people who might not necessarily reciprocate those feelings. So they're looking for fruit, can't find fruit. Michael's like, we should go inland. That's where all of our fruit is. Or papaya. Yeah, here, let's make a ladder. Yeah, let's make a ladder. Simply go out. (laughs) We simply go into the middle of the jungle. We simply climb the ladder. We simply pick papaya. We simply come back to the aero station and we simply eat it. Simple Uh, as that. Uh, Simple as that. I think Michael would build a much better ladder since he actually does have history in construction, unlike Mr. Tony Blockos. Yeah, I think he'd do well. Uh, But she's like, yeah, we don't go inland. Uh, he's like, why not? She goes, that's where they come from. And little does she know that that is like for Michael, like, bing. Okay, <laughs> off to the races. Uh, meanwhile, we go back to the aero station and a really great interaction with Sawyer and Mr. Echo. In fact, the first uh, time we actually hear the words Mr. Echo on Lost. Finally, let's break the sound barrier, <laughs> Mike. Let's bring in sound number one. For your protection when we travel. You made this? So what's your name anyway? Mr. Echo. Mr. Echo. Yes. So what sound like Mr. Ed? <laughs> uh, priest is a priest, of course, of course. Exactly. He is actually a secret drug lord. Uh, uh, if only, yeah. you know, if only Libby hadn't interrupted, I'm sure Echo would have followed up with like, did you just compare me to a horse from the 60s? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> it's like your Saeed impression is your Mr. Echo. Uh, but yeah, he's... <laughs> I love how he just like shoves the knife down in front of Sawyer. Yeah, listen, uh, you know Sawyer's what you like, couldn't Whoa. you know what you couldn't impale into a log? A hockey stick tied to a stick, Echo. I mean, like this is this is the this is the stuff. You know, the the shrapnel machete. Uh they should have had Echo making as many of those as humanly possible. Um I just love that first interaction between Sawyer and Echo and like Sawyer kind of like calling out the ridiculousness of the fact that his name is Mr. Echo. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to just, like, introduce a character into Lost named Mr. Echo without having at least one person be like, really? Mr. Echo? Like, do you want me to, can I just call you Echo? Or do I have to call you Mr. Echo? Uh, Like, do I have to go all the way? Or must we be so formal? Well, it's interesting Um, because in the closed captioning, I've watched the scene a couple times, and when Echo says Mr. Echo, for some reason, the subtitles put it as one word. So maybe it is one word, Mr. Echo, and they just separated it out into the title Mr. and the last name Echo. Hmm. Um, a mystery uh, to be solved another time. Mr. E-K-O. Mr. E-K-O. Uh, who's going to get TKO'd later on in the show. Uh, not this week. Uh, Libby returns in a panic. Michael's gone. He's gone. I told him about the stuff in the jungle, and he just went after it, which was weird. And it was like, okay, cool. So we got to go right meow. We must leave. Has to happen right meow. Uh, and Jin is trying to be like, no, we can't. Can't do it. And no one understands Jin. And he's trying to say to Sawyer, like, oh, come on, we can't go. We can't go. So he's like, dude, I do not know. Walt! Walt! And he's like, oh, right. That makes sense. Michael went off to go and find Walt. Uh, the scene continues, and we actually have some audio from that scene. Sound number two. Let's go. We're moving out now. Cindy, water. Libby, can you carry the radio? Wait, you have a radio? Does it work? Can you use it? Wow, what a great idea. You going to slow us down? No. My cousin. We're leaving before he can tell them where we are. What are we supposed to do? Wait for him? He ain't coming back without his kid. Walt! He ain't coming back without Walt. You really think he's gonna find him? In case you haven't noticed this every man for himself, Chewie. Mike's gotta worry about Mike. And I gotta worry about me. Wait. Please. going the wrong way that's where he's going toward them what are you doing i'm gonna help him find his friend he can't wait for you i don't expect you to Echo's awesome. Uh, Josh, when Echo comes up against Jin, there are only going to be three hits. Jin punching, hitting Echo, Echo hitting Jin with his head, and Jin hitting the ground. It's just, yeah. it's a lovely bit of Foley slash, like, I kind of think when Jin gets back up, Echo can be like, okay, this guy can hang. I'll let him pass. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's just like three taps. Uh, one one from one man, then one to the other, and then the other to the ground. Uh, and Jin's a badass, so if Echo could just like floor him with his face, uh, that really shows you in the, like the the rock paper scissors of it all, uh, where Echo stands in the in the the fighting food chain. Um, and yeah, he's like, I'm I'm gonna go help this guy out. Like he seems to really care about his friend. Uh, these guys seem like they're they're you know, legit. Uh, let me go help him find his friend. Uh, the thing about Mr. Echo, as we're going to come to find out, is like he's trying to live this noble life. Right. But it is a struggle for him. Uh, like he, he like actually, like it's, it's really, you know, we're only going to have Echo for a limited amount of time. So as we have him on screen, because he's such a beloved character, there's a really great final reveal with Echo in his death episode in season three, where he's going to be like, all of the things that I did in my life, I did to survive. Uh, I, you know, that was I. I did the best I could with the life I was given. I'm not sorry about it. I protected my brother. I'm proud of that. So he's not really sorry for what he did at all. Like he's very deterministic. Where he's like, this is the way that life was going to go, and I just lived it the best that I could. Um, to the point that I think that like he's kind of resentful of like having this sort of like this like lingering thing hanging over his head of like what's going to happen when i have to someday face absolution uh but like he he tries to stick to that script he tries to live it the best that he can uh, as he can but like i think that you you can see the seams of it already when you go back and watch the echo arc knowing that that's in him this sort of like reluctance to walk the path he's gonna do it because he's honoring his brother because he you know he values the sacrifice of what happened to his brother and he feels horrible that his brother is dead and he wants to make that death mean something but it does like faith doesn't come easy for for Mr. Echo. Mm. This is not an easy thing. I think it's a thing that he feels like he has to do. Uh and so like I think like you could even you could even see that a, a bit in this episode as he's going to go with Jin where he's like the right thing to do is go with this guy and help him find his friend. Right. That's he, why I'm going to go and do it. He's one of the most charitable characters, I think, in the show. Just, in, in a way, but also in a way where it's like, ugh, Yeah, in, in a way where it almost feels mandated for him. Right. right? Of like, right. okay, this is the right thing to do and I should do it. Not, I'm compelled to do this. It's almost like, okay, I want to build towards this larger goal from a more macro perspective. And yeah, I mean, it's also, maybe it's a thing where he also sees, you know, a little bit of himself engine when it comes to you know having a, a wanting to search for somebody you know i don't think the relationship between him and yemi is anything like Jin and michael but he could probably understand this idea of like you know putting your neck on the line for somebody else i also love a great anna lucia sass line of you know sawyer saying oh you have a radio can you use it she goes wow what a wow, great idea yeah, it's like also nice little tease of like, oh, we're going to get an answer to the, the, the radio thing from the boon of it all. Yeah, uh, and also Sawyer being season one Sawyer here when talking with Jen and saying, I'm not going to go look for Michael. He does the, you know, every man for himself. It screams very much the tabula rasa. We're in the wild of yeah. it all. This is, yeah. uh, this is Lord of the Flies now, Jen. It, it feels very much like Sawyer is just in survival mode at this point, and survival mode is him putting his guard up to everybody, including quote-unquote friends. Yeah, every man for himself is a uh, a very legit, uh, you know, uh, Sawyer saying. You know, it's going to be a title of one of his episodes right. in a, a season from now. Uh, he also calls Jin Chewy again, which I enjoyed. Um, on the other side of the island, Sun is now going to be with Hurley, retracing steps. What did you do yesterday? I woke up, I washed up, 
I went for a walk with Shannon. We picked some fruit. We cut it up. We fed it to Vincent. And he goes, whoa, okay, dog ate the ring. Uh, which leads us to a really great scene with uh, with Son and Hurley and Vincent the dog. So, soul, send the good Korea or the bad Korea? The good one. Did you go to the Olympics? Hurley, this is ridiculous. Waiting here for... The dog did not eat my ring. Dude, dogs will eat anything. When I was a kid, my dog Buster, I had this drawer where I'd throw in all my change, right? And I guess there were some Smarties in there. So like the next day, Buster craps out a buck thirty-five at nickels. Did you ever own a dog? Yes. Jim gave me one. A puppy. What was his name? Popo. Popo. That means something? Yes. It means a kiss. A kiss. I had to include the last part in there just because we get a mention of our good boy, Popo. Oh, Popo. I love Popo the dog. I wish I could give Popo an MVP point this week, but Popo doesn't show up and there's other people to give him. And you know there's going to be people calling us out and be like, give Vincent an MVP point, he's overdue. But I mean... He did. He he doesn't crap out a ring. So like, yeah, I, I, he crapped out the ring, and I'd be like, yeah, uh, five MVP points. Yeah, <laughs> buck thirty-five yeah. in MVP buck points. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. that's twenty-seven nickels. That's a lot of nickels. That's a lot. Of, how did he get into the change drawer? Uh, maybe they like left it ajar or something. I don't know what dot. It feels like Hurley her- says there were Smarties in the change drawer. And that was enticing enough to get his dog Buster. I feel like to- Smarties are pretty small. Like I thought, if they, maybe if they're like Necco wafers, like those are more the size. Well, of I nickels. still even think like, are you really going to sniff those out and be like, ah, wafers? Uh, now that's a Smarties <laughs> drawer. You know, like I don't think that that's what's going to happen. Maybe I'm really undervaluing how much a dog likes food, but I also think I'm kind of properly valuing how much Smarties suck. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Smarties, maybe because I'm not a Smarty myself. I guess we're also assuming the size of the Reyes' dog as well, considering that, like, I think most small... The Chihuahua. No, I think most small to (laughs) medium-sized dogs would, like, maybe die if they had to poop out a buck thirty-five in nickels. I'm thinking, like, a great big German Shepherd, you know? Has to be a fairly big dog for a Oh, maybe maybe it was uh, John Locke's sister spirit dog just roaming from house to house. Yeah, Buster showed up, and they got Buster for the next little while. Um, Buster, Buster uh, was was stealing, uh, eating money from the change drawer to bring it to to the John Locke Foster home. Could you imagine, like, to enrich oh, his life? What'd she bring? <laughs> Just like, <laughs> oh, our paycheck is here. <laughs> oh wow, we're gonna be able to thank make you, it. magical money dog. Oh, money dog. All right, uh, flashback. By the way, but just before we go to the flashback, love that scene. The Sun and Hurley friendship is another one that I really enjoy, uh, especially like their post Oceanic Six stuff. Like once they get off the island and they're hanging together in Korea. Uh, this is very sweet that Hurley would show up and hang out with Sun to see uh, G. Eon. Uh, so I, a little bit of like the seeds of that here in this scene. Uh, flashback, Sun's going to the to the Seoul Gateway Hotel. She walks right past Jin. He's working the door. Uh, and here we get him. First sign of Jay Lee. Uh, you would think from this episode that it would also be the last sign of Jay Lee. But alas, this is the beginning of a little bit of a thing mm. uh, as Jay Lee and, and son are being matchmakered mate match made 
made into a match. I don't know the song. Uh, they get to to sit together and enjoy some orange juice. Uh oh. You know, so that's love. You're drinking gin's possible future mate. Uh, and she's gonna, she's gonna, uh, they're gonna get into the conversation of who's pressuring you more, mom or dad. Uh, for son, it's dad via mom. For Jay, it's dad. Uh, it's his, it's his dad via his mom via his aunt via his grandma, right? Uh, something like that. Uh, so it's a, a lot of different people. Uh, who are who are coming at Jay? Yeah, Jay Lee Luthor, considering his completely shaved head, we had to know that he was up to something, right? If we saw him in a future episode and he has a completely shaved head, um, is that just automatically mean he's Lex Luthor because he's bald? I mean, it's in the category, right? He's not John Luke Picard. He's not John Locke, certainly. I think you're losing me on this one. <laughs> I just don't know that I can follow you here. I don't know. Is he Walter White? Like, I'm just talking about, like... I think he's just a bald man. I don't know. He studied medieval Russian literature. Uh, it's not like he did a bad thing. He taught son English, and for all he knew, she was in an abusive marriage. Mm, but marriage. he also taught her the language of love. He did, but it wasn't, like, the, a bad thing. Things were not great with son and Jin, and he's trying to help her. I think Jay Lee is actually a relatively legit guy. Mm, you say that until he tries to block out the sun to stop Superman. No, I... T- <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> What's happening? I will also say, uh, Sun and... I know that Sun and Jay Lee did not go to school to get mates, but if they went to school to study art history and medieval Russian literature, like... Wow, you're just shaming people for going to school? My mother was an art history student, Mike! I, I actually think art history is like, I think that's a totally legitimate major. I have no idea what Jay Lee was thinking he was going to do with medieval Russian literature. Somebody's got to uh, chronicle the medieval Russian literature. If it's not Jay Lee, who will do it? I don't know. He, maybe will, be the one, he will be the one pushing that button every 108 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he meets, maybe Mikhail was his professor. Wow, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Uh, but yeah, what, what did uh, uh, stand out to me is that Jay says, I know nothing about art, but I studied medieval Russian literature. I feel like, like, at some point, those two disciplines, like, interlapped for a little bit, I, right? Like, I feel like... You gotta imagine, like, you know a little bit about art if you're gonna know medieval Russian literature. Like, I feel mm, like art's gonna come up. I disagree. I feel like it's more so for the art history person, which is why I feel like art history is the more legitimate major, is because it's almost like a cultural study that you would understand, yeah. like, the, the Russian art at the time. I feel like... I don't know how many, I don't know if Dostoevsky is referencing paintings in War and Peace, you know? Uh, I cannot wait for medieval Russian literature Twitter to come for your your wig, Mike. Well, I, and I, I just don't, hope I'm not the wig that they come for. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I wouldn't be able disavow, to read the tweets, so. Disavow, I disavow. Don't leave bad reviews on our podcast because Mike Bloom just trashed medieval Russian literature as a major. Yeah, I don't even believe Dostoevsky is medieval Russian literature, so... <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> What's happening? Lex Luthor! Oh, my God. Superman. Uh, Jin and Echo are in the jungle. Jin hears a rustling. Echo says, don't go. Don't do it. Don't go off. But Jin does anyway, and then he meets a boar. Uh, the boar runs at him. And do you think it's still, like, the possessed boar? <laughs> Uh, that uh, Sawyer let go? I don't know. It's something, uh, I think it came from the same camp as that polar bear, because it's not the best CGI in the world. It's not great. It's not great. It happens fast enough, so yeah. it's fine. Jin gets knocked down a hill where he winds up. He sees a body on a stick. No boomerang, you'll notice. Uh, so it worked. <laughs> Imagine if there was a boomerang sticking out of it. 
<laughs> wow, that'd be really tough. Yeah, well, if he had like fallen down in the other 48 days on uh, the edge of a boomerang, like I think he may have made it. I think he may yeah, have survived. Exactly. He'd just be sitting there like, get the goddamn boomerang out of yeah. my chest. Yeah, it hurts. Oh, my back. I think it's just like would have hurt his back. Uh, he would have survived. Uh, anyways, this is Goodwin, says Echo. Uh, and Jin, who's like horrified at the sight of the dead body, points at the body and says, others? And Echo nods. And we yeah. cut to commercial. And this is genius. Uh, because they're at, at, at the point of watching it, on the first watch, there was no, there was, it was not even a, a thing on my mind that this guy was one of the others. Uh, to me, it was just like, oh, man, the others killed this guy. No wonder the tailies are so spooked. So many of them have been killed by the others or taken by the others. Uh, and when you see Goodwin showing up in the other 48 days, he's got a lot of goodwill behind him because, A, he's got a good name. Uh, and B, you know that he's dead. And C, you think that it's because he was killed by the others. It's so it's so brilliant. I, I, it's a it's a small thing, but it's a really, really clever thing that the show does here. Uh, by having like that language barrier between Jin and Echo, Echo nodding and saying, yeah, others like he's like saying, like, yeah, he was one of them. Uh, but Jin is asking, like, did the others kill this guy? Right. And Echo nodding and saying, yeah, he's one of them. It's just like, you know, ships in the night in terms of understanding the meaning of one another. And from an audience perspective as well, it also keeps things very ambiguous for the audience of like, wait, was this another or did the others kill them? So that when we get into the other 48 days and like you said, when Goodwin's introduced, we're still not entirely sure. And that's yeah. why the reveal of Goodwin when he ends up breaking, what's his name, Nathan's neck, I believe, yes. The, yes. The, fir- the first suspected other, that makes that turn even better, is because, yeah, I guess it had been set up all along. And it also just shows how, even though Jin is slowly but surely learning more English, very good English episode for Jin, there is still some things lost, ooh, in translation. And unfortunately, this is one of them. Yeah, well, so speaking of which, we're going to get into a scene where uh, where Jin and Echo are going to have uh, something of a conversation. And I love how it begins, because they go into the jungle, Echo crouches down, he finds an aloe plant in the middle of the jungle, and Jin looks at the plant and goes, Michael? Yeah. Oh, there, he, there he's in the plant, yes, and Michael Echo shrunk goes, down. No, it's aloe. And so, like, that was my thought. I was like, does he think that Michael has, I mean, I guess crazy things have happened on this island. That somebody turning into a plant is maybe not the like weirdest thing that could happen on this island. Imagine if the wind started blowing and you just hear the leaves rustle and go, whoa! <laughs> yeah, just spewing aloe everywhere. Uh, yeah, Michael the aloe plant all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, he's going to, you know, the, if he only had aloe while the raft was burning, maybe they could have helped with that. Uh, and he says, no, it's, 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 this is aloe. This isn't your friend, Michael. <laughs> Put this on your cut. Wow, you're really stupid. <laughs> yeah, like, you think this guy is a plant? Like, uh, this is too much. Uh, so he gives him aloe for the cut. Uh, and then they stop down. He sees the ring. He knows he's married. Uh, and, and this is a, I love this interaction. Uh, and I it had never really re- pinged yeah, on my radar same. until now. Uh, when uh, he says to Jin, do you have a wife? And Jin says, yes, you. And Mr. Echo says, worse. Yeah. I'm so intrigued. Is it that that he's like saddled with yes. guilt? Well, it's that he's married to God, right? Uh. Like he's a, man, he's a man of God. Uh, and his life 
has to be dictated by his his profession as a priest, which is not something he ever had asked for. It's something that he took on in uh, a rather sinful way. Uh, and since he's come to the island, at least, uh, we believe that he's really following through on on trying to walk the straight and narrow. And I think that like his vow of silence probably helps him sort of crystallize um, where he's at mentally with everything and and probably uh, he's living a rich internal life even if he isn't speaking openly with everybody else and I think that like he's reconciling this idea of like yeah I have to be a man of God now because when you see him in the moments where he's um, you know acting as a priest it's often very reluctant even then right like, even in um, in the question mark flashback he's gonna like investigate what could be like a miracle Um but he's also doing it like simultaneously with like coming up with a way to like get out of the country, like to to run away forever. Can't imagine he's going to go, you know, to America or wherever he was going to go uh, and like continue his life as a priest. Uh, so like he's been trying to run away from it for a long time, and here he is on the island. And I think that like his the past forty eight days, the other forty eight days have have bared upon him that like no, you got to be a man of God. This is this is your path. You have to do it. You have to do the right thing. You have to atone for all the bad things that you've done. And so he's like having like kind of like an honest moment with this guy who can't fully understand him by saying, I'm not married. What I have is worse. Yeah. Uh, is really, really fascinating to me. It's a concept of being married to an idea rather than a person. And when you look at it from that concept, we're about to talk about John Locke making his appearance in this episode, but it makes his flashbacks make so much more sense as well, too, right? This, and the whole falling apart of the relationship with Helen was that he was sort of cheating on Helen with his marriage with this idea that, you know, right. he wanted to get the why of what happened with Anthony Cooper. And it's the fact that even though it's a concept instead of a flesh-and-blood person, you can still have as much, if not more, devotion to that idea than you can people. And so maybe it's worse for Echo because unlike people like, you're not, it's not reciprocated. You know, you don't have, you're not loving somebody and then having someone love you back. You're devoting yourself to an idea and you're just hoping the idea pays you back in kind or that you get satisfaction from that. There's no intimacy that's reciprocated. Well, there's a, there's tons of people who who are deeply satisfied and and find lots of purpose in being married to an idea, uh, whether it's you know a, a very devout person or or whatever it is. Um, but then there are people who like that's not going to work for. And I think that it's 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 just it's it's just a different way of looking at Mister Echo because I think that you're you're so um, inclined to watch the character under the lens of he's the holy man and everything he's doing is right and just, uh, and he's trying to make up for a lifetime of, of misdeeds. But like his final confession is like hogwash, man. Like I did the best that I could. I did the best that I could. I tried. Is that not enough? Uh, and then the smoke monster's like, ah, oh, man, well, that means I'm not going to be able to manipulate you any further. So I may as well just kill you because you're clearly the strongest. Yeah, uh, not, not too different from a bloody John Locke banging on the door of the hatch saying, I did everything you told me to do. So what do you want me to do? But different enough because it's like it's Mr. Echo in that moment, like not asking for someone to like, uh, like show him the way forward anymore. It's like Mr. Echo, he's on his knees in that moment, but he's taking a stand and being like, no, I did the stuff. I did the stuff. I did it for reasons that were reasons that I had to do them. Uh, Cause that was the life that was put on my plate. 
and I and I chewed on it accordingly. And you're asking me to feel bad about it? No, I I tried to do the best that I could. I killed a man so that my brother didn't have to. Uh, it's a complicated story for for a character who's only there for you know really just like a full season of screen time, um, even if he's in a little bit of season three. Uh, there's a reason why people still love Mr. Echo so much, even though we barely see him on the show in the grand scheme of things. I just thought it was so interesting here because I think that this is a guy that like knows like deep down in his bones like it would be better like he he wishes that this didn't have to be his life but it is his life and so he's gonna take it accordingly right uh, i just thought that line of like what what i have is worse was just like kind of this really honest moment that you almost don't get from echo until the end yeah of uh, no Mr. Echo. he's opening himself up and i also find it really interesting that in this episode he's really seen as the leader he's seen as the tracker he's seen as the person to orient you know, Jin's way to find Michael and you'd accustom that to someone like a priest, someone to lead you in the way of faith. But as he'll admit, as you talked about in his final confession, he's someone who has been alongside just sort of wandering down the path. And he's, this is a path that he feels he has to go down and he knows the way, but he begrudgingly has to take it. And, you know, all the while he is still wondering, was this the right path to take, even though I know that morally it should be. Uh, all right, so on the other side of the island, Sun is at her garden looking for the ring. She gets frustrated, rips up all these plants. What if they were people, Mike? Yeah, you just hear Michael being like, oh, come on, Sun! <laughs> oh, no, Sun! Yeah, she just murders a bunch of plant people. Uh, and then Locke comes along and says, bad day, and he gives her a hanky. He promises it's clean. Of course it is. It comes from Mr. Clean. Yeah, uh, no, actually, open. I wouldn't be surprised if it was covered in Blo- Boone's blood a little bit. Yeah, it's probably, it's got like a little... It's mostly clean. There's a little bit of Boone still on there. Uh, but he's going to stop down and help her replant the plants, and we are going to stop down and listen. Sound number four. Did you see me? Rip apart your garden? No. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I had a garden to tear apart. I don't think I have ever seen you angry. <laughs> I used to get angry all the time. Frustrated, too. So you're not frustrated anymore? I'm not lost anymore. How did you do that? Same way anything lost gets found. I stopped looking. I I really love this scene. Uh, it's just it's like it's classic Locke, uh, but there's so many great platitudes in here. I love the connection back to orientation in a number of ways. First, he references him being angry. I feel like with Jack, like Jack and the Sarah stuff, this is something that I don't think he's really told anybody else that he had anger problems in the past. Maybe they felt like that would make people question his leadership, but I guess he's he's really you know uh, opening up a part of himself when Sun is in her hour of need, but this, the line I'm not lost anymore is a really, really cool line from Locke that I feel like doesn't go mentioned a lot because I mean, that's sort of his mission statement at this point, right? Like he felt he was misguided in life, but he found his orientation and now he doesn't feel lost anymore. Yeah. But what's great about it is it's, it's BS. I call it the bull crab cake. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not legit. 
you know what he's what he's saying here is I stopped looking. I don't get frustrated anymore. I'm not lost anymore. Um, I stopped looking. He's been looking on this island all along. You know, maybe like he's been on tram lines to some degree that he's like, uh, you know, there's the hatch. Got to go down the hatch. Got to, you know, figure out the hatch like it found me. I didn't find it. Um, but then he like mercilessly started looking for ways to get down into the hatch. And now that he's been in the hatch, the ball has started going down the hill in terms of him getting mega frustrated again. So I think what Locke is talking about here is great. But I think it's it's dis, it's displaying a very deep lack of self awareness in in John Locke that I love and that mm. I think is fundamental to the character. Um, but I but to to say that like these are just like wise words from like a, a lived in life that that know what this is all about and believes it thoroughly. Um, like I can't sign off on that because I think we we know where Locke is at in his headspace right now. Uh, this man, it, he said, I used to get angry. I used to get angry, frustrated too. Yeah, literally like three days ago, guy. Like <laughs> you know, like a day ago. Uh, so it's it's always it's it's why I love Locke as a character so much. He's so complicated. He's a hypocrite. Um, but like it doesn't mean that what he's peddling isn't wise. It right. just means maybe sometimes like the man would have benefited from like following his own wisdom to the actual letter. Well, and I also wonder if this is also him talking himself up from that little breakdown. He had an orientation of like, okay, that was a slip up, but now we're pushing the button. I have my purpose. Everything is good now. You know, I, I have the meaning that I wanted. I mean, like you said, the words he's giving are wise. He's literally quoting uh, like a Buddhist saying, you know, to find something, stop looking for it, which I'm assuming also kind of, resonates with Sun from a cultural perspective as well. I also really love the symbology of him manually putting the the plant back in the ground, sort of representing the fact that the plane crash sort of uprooted everybody. And now season two, especially, they're sort of finding their own places in the garden and they're being replanted. Granted, the writers are going to uproot and replant these characters many, many, many times. But Locke is somebody who feels like faith is sort of like in this belief in a higher gardener is going to be able to plant you in the proper soil to have you grow for a larger purpose. In the past, uh, Sun is going to be waiting for a date with Jay Lee. Jay is going to show up uh, at the hotel. It's the flower off of Jin's lapel. He thanks. You're Mr. Kwan, Mr. Jin Su Kwan. You're a good guy, Jin Kwan. She's like, oh, it's great. Great day for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, someday I will convince you that life is so awful that you will throw yourself out a window. And onto my car. And onto my car. Uh, so Jay is going to come in and like, he's telling the story. He's like, and then the card slipped out the door. There I am in a towel. Whole cow. So it's like, oh my God, I thought that only happens in the movies. Yeah. It's a, it's a little, you know, har, 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 har. Do you think Jay Lee lives in the hotel? Like Zach and Cody style? Uh, probably. Or Dunstan checks in. Or Dunstan checks in. I'm sure he has many run-ins. Maybe that's the reason why Mr. Kim's like, after that incident with the orangutan, we cannot yeah. allow anyone besides the upper crust in the Soul Gateway Hotel. Yeah, well, they had the whole incident with the hunter who they hired. It was big to do. Uh, they're really hitting it off. It seems that way, at least. Uh, until we find out that uh, Sun is, is interested in Jay, but Jay is not so much in Sun because he's planning on going back to America uh, for a woman he met at Harvard. And that's happening in six months. Yeah, so... And that's sad. Was it basically like... Lee was so jacked about, you know, connecting with Sun. Was it so... Was she gonna... He gonna use her as, like, a beard? That, like, oh, I'm with Sun, and while basically, he's pursuing this, yes. this thing as a side piece. I also think it's interesting that Lee 
specifically tell Sun, like, okay, no more matchmakers, we can be free. Because that was the whole thing with House of the Rising Sun, right? This idea of Sun, you know, make sure you leave your husband at the airport, get in this car, and you can be free. We see in that episode, you know, her freeing herself by wearing the clothing that she wants to. So, I mean, Sun has been fighting this idea of freedom for so, so long. But I feel like each and every corner she turns, she finds out that she never really is free. There's some sort of prison that's going to keep her there. And here it is here as well. We're like, yes, you're free, but also you can't love me because I don't love you back. Yeah. Uh, man, it's sad. Yeah. Sad stuff. It really is, considering that, like, you see it on Yunjin Kim's face. Like, she had genuine feelings for him. And, I mean, I don't know if, if the onus should be on Jay Lee for not noticing that or for her for putting too much stakes in a matchmaker, but it's a really heartbreaking thing to watch. Yeah, for sure. But, like, I mean, like, I think that, like, he misread the signs and she misread the signs and it's unfortunate did either of them do something like drastically terrible? I think given like their circumstances, a lot of the pressure that they're under, uh, certainly Sun did nothing wrong. Did Jay Lee do something wrong? Uh, I don't think what he did was great, but I think that he misread it. And he's like, as soon as he sees that he misread it, I feel like he's like immediately deeply apologetic yeah. about it. Um, whatever. He's going to get pushed out a window or he's going to throw himself out a window at some yeah, point. Yeah, before he uh, can deplete the world's supply of utonium to create his yeah, newest if death you- weapon. <laughs> it's, crypt- it's kryptonite! It's, it's kryptonite! If, you, if you're going to do Lex Luthor, it's kryptonite! It's always kryptonite! Uh, Jin and Echo are in the jungle. <laughs> they find a fresh footprint uh, are these are these tracks Michael? Yeah, they're Michael. This footprint in the soil <laughs> is Michael. Everything is Michael. Yeah, the circle the of light life. Touches Michael, is Michael. Michael de- decomposed and became the island. Yeah, the Michael turns into the grass, and the antelopes <laughs> eat the grass, and then Michael turns into the antelopes. <laughs> it's the circle of Michael. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Michael of life. Uh, yeah, the, the others don't leave tracks apparently. Uh, this is, this is tough because we can't play the audio for this scene. Right. Otherwise, like, this would be, like, a very easy sound pull. Uh, it's very visual. The, the Giacchino score really, uh, you know, underlines it in a beautiful, uh, terrifying way. But the visual is very iconic, oh, right? Like, so it's, good. uh, Jin running out into the jungle. Echo, like, shushes him very harshly, like, puts his full freaking hand on Jin's face. He drags him behind a bush. They hide in a bush as the others walk by. Uh, and their their legs are muddy and torn up and gross. And one of them's got a teddy bear. And when you see the teddy bear, you're like, oh, they've got oh, children. I love it. I love it. I mean, so much. it was iconic at the time. It's still really uh, spooky and unsettling now. It's great. Yeah. And I mean, I know this scene, at least for me at the time, really brought these ideas into my head of like, okay, is this connected to the smoke monster? Because remember, like, they don't leave footprints, even if they are Michael. And the smoke monster moved around like smoke. So maybe, you know, the smoke monster can form into the others. Or maybe the others can turn into smoke as well. And that's why they don't leave footprints. But just seeing the image of their legs and feet walking by, it shows you just enough and shows them just enough to show how menacing they are. But yeah, I think putting the kid right at the end is a brilliant dig of the hockey stick. The dig of the boomerang. (laughs) Because it's such a WTF thing of like, wow, this group that kidnaps children, like this is what they do to them. Could they do this to Walt? I know it's, but it also, it also freaks you out because it's like, yeah, like, is this, is this kid captured? Yeah. Is he with them like against his will? Or is this like a child, like a child of the corn? Yeah. 
And are, are, is the corn sentient too? Oh, and is the corn Michael? <laughs> you know? So, uh, like, it's really scary on that level. It's like, oh, God, are we going to deal with, like, demon kids? We never really do. No, but it's also an, a, a fun reference as well to, like, Peter Pan. Because I thought I remembered yeah, uh, when sure. with the Lost Boys and Michael... Another Michael has a, a teddy bear that he always brings along. And I remember when they get captured by the Native Americans and that delightfully not inappropriate at all scene from the animated film. Uh, they tie right. up the teddy bear as well. And that's, that's the image that right. I got. Uh, so Jin and Echo are going to emerge from the bush. Uh, don't worry. Michael's fine. He's lost he, ahead of he's him. He's that bush right there that we just came out of. Yeah, he's, he's, very, he's very lucky that the others didn't find him, but he's very unlucky in that he's turned into a bush. Yeah. <laughs> he's a plant now. So we're. Uh, I guess it's going to be easy enough to uproot him. Uh, yeah, and Locke we'll will replant to, him. What, what, no, what do you think, Josh, would have happened <laughs> if the others had indeed found Michael? Do you think we just get the events of three minutes yeah, a bit earlier? Just earlier. Yeah, earlier. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but like, I, I think the difference is, is uh, three minutes, like they do what they do with Michael because uh, they need him to find uh, Henry Gale right. slash Benjamin Linus. So at this point, like what kind of leverage do they need Michael for? Um, I don't know that it would end well for him. Yeah, I, I agree. There. Not that it ends well for him, but like I think it would end uh, poorly sooner. Right. And there's like, and also this is, I guess, relatively early in the other studying Walt as well. So maybe there's right. a different way in which they approach the situation since Walt hasn't, you know, really irked oh, them yet. Interesting. Interesting. Like, yeah, maybe like if the others had just like taken Michael along with Walt. Yeah. Uh, like then they wouldn't have like found like with Walt, we got more than we bargained for. Like maybe what they would have found is like, oh, the the influence of a father. We will indoctrinate him into our culture as well. Right. And then maybe like everybody would have gotten along. Right. Or just this idea of like, okay, he seems un- incontainable except for, you know, Michael's the one that can quell things at the moment. So he's able to contain things. Now we can use this however we want to, but we have to keep them together. Yeah. You know what else could have worked if the others had like come up to the guys on the raft and be like, hey, so we're the others. Uh, we have the capabilities of blowing up your raft right now. We don't want to do that. There's like some weird like electromagnetic time travel shenanigans around here that you're not going to be able to get out of here anyway. Come onto our boat. We need the kid. There's some interesting things happening with the kid, and we need to do some things with the kid, uh, sciencey stuff. Uh, with your blessing, Michael. But even without it, we'll do it. Um, but like you come onto the boat, we'll bring you back. We'll clothe you, we'll shelter you, we'll feed you. We've got chicken, we've got rotisserie chicken, we've got houses. Uh, we could all live together and we could just like talk this out like adults. It's Sawyer jumps on, you had me at chicken. You had me at rotisserie chicken. Uh, you had me at fresh change of clothes. Uh, flashback time. Uh, this is when um, the man comes by with his son. He has to go to the bathroom very badly. He can't hold it. Uh, Jin lets him in. Mr. Kim is not happy about it. He rips into Jin. Uh, he says, the boy can piss in the gutter for all I care. And Jin's like, cool, so you're an asshole. Here are my gloves. Here's my hat. I'm done. Yeah. Good for Jin. Well, I think the f- this, this scene is brutal. I love it. I mean, it's really take this job and shove it. I think the final straw is Kim saying, you people are used to that. Yeah. And then it shows Jin that like, like, F you guy. No way. Well, I think it shows no Jin way. like, I think he thought that in working this job, he could rise above his rank. And I think he just realized that no matter what he does, He's still going to be regarded as the son of a fisherman, and he'll yeah. unfortunately fall into this. Another great Lindelof. Yeah, he'll unfortunately fall into that pit again when he starts working for Mister Paik back in Uwin translation of like, I want to make things good for son. I want to prove who I am as a person, and he just has to realize that unfortunately in this society, like you are what you're worth. 
monetary wise. And so like he was never going to be looked upon as anything but someone who came from a fishing village. As much as he scrubbed and scrubbed, that stink of fish followed him wherever he went. So he has to take his stink elsewhere. All right. So uh, back on uh, the, the Oceanic 815 beach, uh, Sun is going to get yet another passerby. Here comes uh, your friend and mine, the great Kate Austin. Uh, and they're going to have a sit down. Hey. Hello. Curly told me that you lost your wedding ring. I was just sitting here, telling myself it's silly to be so upset about it. It is just a thing. Well, they've only been gone a few days, you know, I'm- Don't. I'm sick of everyone saying he's all right. He's not all right. Claire found the button. The one with the messages inside. The one from the raft. Where is it? I buried it. She buried it alive, like Nikki and Paolo. Bottle lies. Uh, bottle, bottle, <laughs> bottle lies. Yeah, the bottle lies in the ground. Uh, I, I, I love Sun again. Like Jack and Locke have sort of been in their own ways vulnerable to Sun, and we've seen Echo be vulnerable to Jin. This is an opportunity for Sun to be vulnerable. Yeah, she's been the person who's been talked to this entire episode, and now she finally speaks her truth. And I can understand from her emotional perspective how tough it must be for everyone to be like, oh yeah. They're halfway to Australia at this point. Like, don't you worry, Jin's safe when she knows that is definitely not the case or likely not the case. And it's information that's brimming up inside of her. I'm glad it didn't take several episodes for her to finally reveal this, like the whole speak English debacle. But I mean, my heart goes out to Sun in this in this scene in particular, because you could just feel the despair, yet also the simultaneous like ecstasy and her finally admitting to somebody else outside of the Claire and Shannon triangle that, you know, the, the raft mission was hopeless. It should be, maybe at this point it should have said something though. Like, I mean, at this point I think Kate should have definitely told. Yeah. Jack. Yeah. Like Kate, Kate does not have to keep that secret. Kate could be like, Hey, by the way, I found the bottle. There's, yeah, there's exactly. trouble, trouble in river city. Yeah. I'm sorry. I lied. You know me, I'm a criminal. Uh, back with the tailies. Uh, they're trekking through the jungle. We get to check in on Sawyer and Anna Lucia. Strange scene. Worth listening to. Fire up the sound. Stop. See you Keep slowing us down. We're going to leave you behind. Go ahead. Leave me behind. All right. See ya. Got a question for you. Yeah. Now that your tracker's gone, how you gonna find our camp without me? Walk across the island, follow the beaches, and Echo's coming back. 
You married? What? You married? No. Too bad. You seem suited for it. Funny. What about you? No, ma'am. You gay? <laughs> Funny. <clears throat> Let's go. What are we waiting for? I just don't know. I don't know. <sighs> All right, so I just don't I, know. It's just so weird. It's just it's just a strange thing to be on Lost. That scene. So I'll, I was talking about this you uh, this with you a bit offline, Josh. But I want to put it out here to the Hatchlings because I I don't necessarily remember you know the behind the scenes at the time. Maybe the Ben behind the curtain or anybody else who has knowledge of this can let me know. But I feel like this scene particularly hits home the point for me that had. Things not happen with Michelle Rodriguez the way they did. I think they very easily would have set up Anna Lucia with Sawyer, or at least in the quadrangle of Jack, Kate, and Sawyer, which Juliet ends up sort of taking well, her place well, with. Well, they, they do to the degree that Sawyer and, and Anna Lucia are going to do it, right? Yeah, like, like, like licking the bone cone. You know, whoa! <laughs> so that's going to happen, I guess. Uh, something, something boomerang stick. Uh, like that's, that's going to go down. So like their, uh, their like fraught relationship in the early going is going to lead to them, uh, like having sex by the waterfall or whatever. Uh, so is this like sort of like adding further, like contentious fuel to the fire? But I, I do think that the part of the plan of Anna Lucia being on the show was that this was going to be somebody who was a potential love interest for Jack. Um, right. and yeah, can it, can it bear out to something? Uh, more expanded to include Sawyer in there, maybe. Um, but if we if we buy Darlton at their word, right? Didn't we already cover this? That uh, the the plan all along was Anna Lucia one and done season. This was always going to be a, a a limited run uh, for for Anna. The the rumors of her uh, her motor vehicle operation being the reasons for her departure apparently exaggerated. Just depends on who you believe. Mm, I don't know. I'm shipping Anna Lusoya. Anna Lusoya. Wow. Yeah. Just such a strange it, scene. Well, it's just like, it's weird flirtations, and it's so different. I compared it last week to, you know, Anna Lucia being able to give guff to Sawyer like the way she does with Kate, but this takes it to a whole new level. We're like, that's playfully flirtatious, but this is just weird. The delivery of you gay is just such a strange line read and such a strange line to exist. Yeah. On and like you, if, if she, if he asked you married and she says, no, you think he'd ask back. Are I guess, you married? I guess it's true to character that Sawyer would be like me gay. No, no way. Right. Like that's what Sawyer's response would be like. Not a chance. No way. Uh, so like maybe she's got his number, but it's just such a strange thing that I, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird to have on Lost. Yeah, but she, he's also still like, again, despite being on Death's Door, he's still toying with her with being like, hey, you know what? You you want to leave me behind, yeah. but you actually need a tracker. And right. he's like, I don't really need you. Also, uh, Sawyer established as a horrible tracker. Oh, yeah, completely, uh, considering he would just walk them in circles several, several times following his own footprints that are also Michael. If you need a tracker and it's Sawyer, you're in trouble. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Echo and Jin stop at that stream that I mentioned before. They start drinking the water. How do they know it's fresh? 
I mean, you make assumptions. I guess any water is good water. Is that right? Not good wind that, water. I think that's a dangerous assumption to make. <laughs> I think. Like, yeah, as long as it's not downstream from good wind. I, guess I mean, it's good we don't water. know. We don't know. I guess like if Echo trusts it and if Jin trusts it, I these are these are people who's uh, well were they were they drinking it or were they just splashing it on their face? I thought they were like taking little sippy sips, tiny hmm. sips. Maybe I don't not. know. Maybe maybe Jin could have led Echo to the caves and they used that waterfall. Yeah. But oh, that set got demolished. Yeah, it's like straight out of the the late great Rudy Bosch's playbook. Like I'm just gonna drink the water. I don't care about the parasites. Yeah, I was gonna say Jin. Uh, now Jin can actually you know Final Destination style. He wasn't poisoned during Born to Run, but now, now it finally comes his yeah, way. Yeah, Michael shows up when Echo goes back to like find Michael's trail. Michael shows up and says, "Stop following me, go back." And then Jin races off after him. And then this scene occurs that we will listen to because you got to hear all the waltz. Whoa! Michael, go away! I'm not going back without him. Whoa! I'm here! Where are you, man? Whoa! What, you weren't going to hit me? Let that take me! Come! Come take me! Dalton is not a good idea. You need to come back with us now. I'm not leaving him out here. Stay away from me. I know they took your son. But you have no idea what these people are capable of. And they will not be found if they don't want to. They took him right out of my hand. Right out of my hand. I'm not going back without him. You find the fort, my God. I really like that scene. Harold Perrineau like, gets a lot of flack for the wall, wall, but just like the heaving way where he says, let them take me. It's just so great. It's just very uh, primal. No, what I love about him in this scene is uh, when he says, you know, he took him out of my hands. And look, yeah. we can definitely give gripes to Michael for taking off on his own to try to take wall because that was just a bad plan to begin with one man with a hockey stick against, you know, the entirety of the others. But you feel the desperation in his voice. And it's not a feeling that we are not accustomed to. In fact, that was, you know, all of a drift, basically, that we griped Michael for. But, like, when he finally admits it, I think it's also a moment for Echo to really see him for who he is, which is just, like, a very beleaguered father at the end of his rope who is so just torn up about Walt being taken from him in the manner that he was. And it's a way for Michael to sort of come apart in that way and, once again, be vulnerable in front of somebody like Echo, I like the fact that even though Echo, you know, helps calm Michael down, Jin's the one to bring him over the line. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's that even though Echo can do what he does, this was Jin's mission. And Jin, with just a simple few words telling Michael that he will find Walt. It's so it's, sweet. It's wonderful. It's, it's so sweet. And also, again, ties back to Locke's, you know, uh, albeit maybe not followed to the T, but his own advice of like, if you're looking for him and you're searching too hard, you're not going to find him. 
he's going to come. You have to have faith. And Michael, to his credit, you know, resignedly does take up that mantle and decides to to move forward with the daily. But also to to Jin's credit, too. Like, it's it's like his philosophy, too, where he's like, I'm going to find Sun. You're going to find Walt. We're going to be exactly. okay. Uh, Sun unburies the bottle back at the beach. Uh, and then Kate starts rifling through the bottles. For the message. Yeah, maybe maybe proves that she's not too far from Sawyer in terms of just blatantly reading other people's messages. Granted, Sawyer did it for fun because he was bored, and Kate is more so doing it just to find Sawyer's like, message. Kate, those are private. Those are private, Kate. Uh, and she says, I didn't say goodbye. I didn't get to say goodbye. Well, there's, a, there's an interesting moment, and I don't know if this is the writing or in Kate's performance, where she says, we, I didn't get to say goodbye. And I feel like that's a really interesting change in pronoun where like she puts the blame on herself, right? Because we saw Sawyer was looking for Kate and she just happened to be in the jungle when the raft launched. And so you could tell she puts a lot of blame on herself for being gone and when, not being able to say goodbye to Sawyer, especially when he might be dead now. Right. Uh, but then we see, there it is. The, the, it's, it, it didn't, it's the, the ring, it's there. She buried ah, the ring. Now that's <laughs> a wedding ring. You know, and when you stop looking, you find the thing. And what a what a wonderful lesson we're learning here uh, this week on Lost. Yeah. And so, and it's a really great performance from Yunjin Kim as well. You know, she's crying tears of joy because I think to her that represents hope, not the hope diamond, but hope. Uh, and that, you know, she puts it on and she's like, okay, now I can cling to my ring knowing that there's still a chance that Jin's out there just like there's a chance that that ring was able to be found in, you know, an entire desert of beaches. And I also love just a small touch of cutting to Jin as well. And I think it actually cuts to his hand, too. And he has the, the handcuff on his wrist. And even though it's not necessarily the same thing as her wedding ring, I feel like that that's a symbol to him, too, of, you know, what he left behind in Sun. For sure. Um, all right. So they, they get the ring back. It's very sweet. Uh, all's well that ends well, Mike. And this episode, uh, this episode ends very well because Sun finds the ring back on the other side of the island. Jin and Michael and Echo are walking back, and Jin is looking at his own ring. And then we flash back uh, to the scene that uh, you're supposed to believe is in Korea, but is like very notably right in the middle of Honolulu. <laughs> if you've ever been to Honolulu, uh, which hopefully you will be if you come to the Lost Con in May. Uh, and it's a beautiful scene where Jin's going to see a woman in an orange dress, and then he's going to see sun, and they're going to lock eyes, and there's the sunset, and it's so beautiful. And the the words aren't there's it's a, a dialogue free, but the music is so beautiful that uh, let's just play that for sound number.
it's so good. Uh, and I this love this is a good I, episode of Lost. This is a I, good. This is a touching, fun, good episode of Lost with great character interactions, with great music, with great scenery, cute flashback, really good flashback episode. I think uh, this is a great episode of Lost. It's it's weird because I I don't want to describe that final song as orchestral, but it feels it to I me mean, dis- it's literally orchestral. Like yeah, it but is. it feels it feels different to me than the other way Giacchino has used strings. Like does that make sense? It feels fuller. It feels like a classical piece of music yeah. more so than the other stuff that he's used. And this is a a motif that's going to recur through a lot of other Quan stuff. This is essentially going to be Jin and Sun's theme. It's going to be used during Sun's ultrasound in DOC. During, uh, you know, Jay Lee's funeral, uh, once the Justice League comes to mourn him, uh, when they reunite in season six, shortly before they die, used during the, the aforementioned freighter explosion. So this is Jin and Sun's theme, and it just it sounds so full of life. And I love this message as well that it ends up that Jin ends up meeting Sun because he was looking at the girl in the orange dress. It's a perfect sign of how. You can set things up all you want to. It's like that meme, right? Exactly. You know, except in this case, I guess he ends up getting with the girl he wasn't looking at. Right, exactly. So I guess that meme has a happier ending than it actually does. But it's it's the symbol of you can have all the matchmakers set you up. You can try your hardest to work your way out of the class rut that you're in. But at the end of the day, sometimes the things that are meant to happen just bump into you. And it's it's a beautiful message. I love the fact I love the fact that this is how they meet. You know, after it's a all great this story. preordained, premeditated stuff, it just happens to be this one event where they meet the love of their life. And I, it, oh, it's, it's so really romantic. A moment. It's a great, it's a great love story. Uh, Jin and Sun. I'm, I'm shipping it hard, man. You're the, you're the Jin and Sun stand on this podcast, but I'm, I'm coming for your title. Uh, this is a great episode. I had such fun talking about this, and it's yeah. not done. I've got feedback to get into. All right, let's do it. All right, so let's start with this from Craig Falkenham. And uh, Mike, believe it or not, I think Craig is advocating for an MVP for the Gawkers. Never. Craig writes, during the montage at the end where everyone is on the beach eating, who is manning the button in the hatch? I think all the main cast members are either here on the beach or with the tailies. Uh, would Locke have really assigned one of the Gawkers a shift this early? So are there Gawkers at the hatch, Mike? Well, I mean, it's 108 minutes, right? I feel like, you know... You can't you, leave it unmanned! It's too important! I mean, you could leave it for like half an hour and then come Are you back. saying leaving the hatch completely unattended is preferable to leaving the hatch with the Gawkers? Listen, the Gawkers have shown they're not ones to take action anytime soon. So I think even if you give them a mission, they're very unlikely to accomplish it. Here's another fun fact from last week from Jim Fells. That apparently, uh, this should be in your wheelhouse, Mike. uh, Daniel Day Kim has a voice cameo on Once Upon a Time as a Mr. Quark's drive-thru employee taking an order from Cruella DeVille. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a weird sentence, right? Yes, Uh, I feel strange having said it. So Once Upon a Time being show run by last week's writers, Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, has a lot of lost references and crossover in it. Obviously, we have Charlotte Rebecca Mater as a main character. We have a Mr. Klux thing here. Uh, one of the main characters has a particularly interesting moment involving an Apollo candy bar with uh, Elizabeth Mitchell, who plays Juliet on Lost, oh who also God. plays the Snow Queen in Once Upon a Time. So there's a lot of Lost connections, obviously. And yes, 
I think I remember now, it's all coming back to me, that yes, Daniel Daycam did voice the drive through voice <laughs> and did say, have a cluckety cluck cluck day. That's amazing. That's incredible. All right, let's get into some behind the scenes for Ooh and Found. Uh, let's talk about the fact that Lance Reddick, uh, who will come to Lost as uh, Matthew Abaddon in season four, great actor, uh, Cedric Daniels of The Wire fame, mm-hmm. uh, great on Fringe, great in anything that he does, also on Oz, uh, as uh, Desmond Mombe, I believe was the name of his character. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember if that's his undercover name. Now, if that is his undercover name, his real name is Johnny Basil. He's an undercover cop who gets uh, uh, sent on an assignment to Oz, and things do not go the way that he expects. Let me just Uh-oh. tell you. Let me just leave it there. It goes very... No, he's no Henry Gale Ben Linus. No, it goes unpre... He has a good heart, and Oz gets the better of him, as it, oh. off, as it often does. But Lance Reddick was almost going to be uh, Mr. Echo instead of Adewale Akinoye Akabaje, uh, also of Oz fame. Uh, this is from an Entertainment Weekly interview with Jeff Jensen uh, and Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof talking about casting for season four. And Q said that they'd been interested in Lance back when they were casting for Mr. Echo, but he was unavailable because he was working on The Wire, which is how they started circling around Adewale. Uh, very different storyline uh, with, with uh, Lance Reddick as Mr. Echo, I think. I just feel like that character has a totally different energy. Um, yeah. I think, I think that one of the things that Adewale brings to the role is this intense brute strength physicality. And the fact that that's um, you know, seemingly paired with this guy who's very gentle in so many other respects. I think it's a big part of the strength of Mr. Echo. Um, and not that uh, Lance Reddick isn't an impressive specimen. Just see the wire in some of the nude scenes. Uh, the heck of a bod on, on Lance yeah. Reddick. Uh, you know, he's a strong, strong guy. But I just don't think he reads in, the, in quite the same way. So I think it would be a different character. Uh, and I think that the way that he plays Matthew Abaddon, my, my greater wish for Lance Reddick with Lost is that they had done more with Matthew Abaddon. Yeah, I agree. Especially as sort of like the off-island yeah. uh, AOJ, as it were. And that was like yeah. fringe-related stuff. Like, it was hard to schedule. They're shooting in Vancouver uh, to get yeah. from there to Hawaii is not a nothing deal. Well, to answer the question, I think that, you know, I think Lance Reddick would do a great job in the Echo we see in the 48 Days of, like, this strong, silent type. I think the one of the reasons why he's great as Reddick is he has this really stern look a look of authority but i feel like what triple a does so well is he's able to do these lighter moments these more vulnerable emotional moments from echo and not to discredit lance reddick whatsoever but i don't know if we get that same flavor from echo as we would from triple a but it also would make sense why echo would be so close with anna lucia i guess anna lucia is like uh, his mcnulty in that perspective <laughs> yeah that'd be fun that'd be fun okay it's, it's interesting to consider uh maybe, maybe lance reddick enjoys it in hawaii more so we actually get a full <laughs> series mr echo arc uh but i just think that there is something about adewale as this character uh that really really connected and the great tragedy is just that he clearly wasn't enjoying himself as much as we were enjoying his performance i think it ultimately right. all works out and i think maybe there's uh an argument that mr echo as like this this bright flash in the pan character uh is better this way uh than like a full series long echo arc i don't know hard to say right no Um, i I think we can definitely talk about that especially in season three when between him and charlie we really start killing our darlings and i think the show maybe realized 
okay, maybe it's best to sort of end some of these characters' journeys before we drag them out for too long and make them, you know, uh, a horrific image of what they once were. All right, here's something else from behind the scenes. According to Nikki Stafford's Finding Lost, the unofficial guide, this is a translation of what Jin says. It's an ooh in translation of what Jin says to Anna Lucia and Bernard during the fishing scene. He says to them, apparently, doing it your way will all end up starving to death. Shade! Yeah, absolutely. I mean, deservedly so. They are just furiously throwing the net into the ocean, and Jin brought in triple their their fish just by sitting there. Uh, Let's get into some feedback from the listeners here. This comes uh, our way from Dallin Servo, who says, Can we break down the others scene? What exactly was happening? Now that we know that the others are essentially normal people living in Dharmaville, what were they doing walking barefoot through the jungle? Was it just for show? Uh, I felt so bad for the others because, like, it's clear that I think they knew that they were in the area, right? So they had to, like, put on a like, show. all right, take to- your shoes off. Um, imagine they had to have rehearsals for this, right? <laughs> well, they do, do you- have, like, stage glue and stuff. Like, they're, uh, they're theater actors. Yeah, who do you think was the director? Uh, probably Mr. Friendly. <laughs> Tom Friendly yeah. like, all right, people, yeah. listen, this is it. This is the moment. Curtain's up soon. Yeah. Gotta remember, be looking real dirty and dragging teddy bears. He's like a he's like a mama rose. He's like a real stage mom. All right, and let's do a big round of zip zap zop before <laughs> we get out in the jungle. Curtains up. Yeah. Uh yeah. So I mean it sucks, but I, I'm pretty sure it's just they knew that they were in the area, so they had to put up an act. I think it's kind of like the hatch, right? Like everyone you gotta push a button every one hundred and eight minutes. Like sometimes if you're the others, you're on walk through the jungle with creepy feet detail. Yeah, exactly. So it was to answer the question, it was just for show, but I feel bad they had to walk barefoot through the jungle. It's it's not a great thing to do. I'm sure that their feet are calloused at this point. They must undergo rigorous training. Uh, if not, then that's bad on... on I don't know, because they're in like, the cushy suburban ville that they usually spend <laughs> their day-to-day in. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have to have like uh, training, on-the-job training for this. Uh, Daniel Brennan says, do you guys like the decision to largely uh, show separate flashbacks for Jin and Son within the same episode? Big fat yes is my yes, answer. Yes, completely. Especially considering that we're seeing them separate on the island as well. Yep. It lets us get to know them separately as characters, too, and so it makes sense to see them separately on the island as well. And again, to show the irony of how they come together in the flashback, whereas on the island, they have not yet come together yet. Uh, Stefan Johnson writes in, how do you think Jin and Son's love story would play if we saw it chronologically lost style? Would we still care as much about them as a couple by the time they reached the island? Um, I wonder if like it plays even more powerfully because it does for us begin tragically. You know, like, I mean, like, it begins sweetly, but then, like, it quickly veers into tragedy, and it takes a while for it to clarify that Jin's not such a bad guy, um, and that, like, if we, if we front load it with the flashback that we get here, I don't know, I, I think that it probably isn't quite as effective. Uh, I don't know, I mean, that's gonna, that's gonna ask you to disassemble House of the Rising Sun and Ooh in translation, both of which I think the flashbacks are sublime. So I guess is what Stefan's implying is, like, the first flashback we've seen in House of the Rising Sun is these flashbacks where they meet. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't like that because I yeah. like the reveals that we find out in those two previous episodes so much inform the characters we see here now. Like, I love the reveal of King Daddy Quan 
And I would much rather hear about it there than here in an interview when this guy just sort of like offhandedly throws it out as a big secret. All right. Phoebe Nugent, not a Jay Lee fan. Uh, she has a screed against Jay Lee. Uh, Phoebe writes, Jay Lee is honestly the worst. He dates Sun and brings her flowers and then acts shocked when she's disappointed to find that he has no interest in her and just wants to use her as a cover story while he dates an American woman. What girl wouldn't think he was interested in her? And then he has the audacity to come back to her when she's already married to someone else but that's for a later episode uh so that's phoebe st- yeah phoebe when you put it that way it's hard yeah to, it's hard to argue it's hard to argue uh i hear you yeah Jay Lee. i think i just think he's not thinking of other people yeah in the way he acts this episode he's thinking about world domination not necessarily his person <laughs> across the table what is this lex luther Lee thing <laughs> I just is it literally just because he's bald? <laughs> Maybe. I just don't get it. I really don't. <laughs> I gotta be honest, like with I, a lot I of believe- the other things that like flabbergast me, Mike, at least I can see where it comes from. I'm really no, struggling here. Jay Lee's background will be revealed in Ooh Cat in Lost <laughs> Season 7. All right, well, how about this? Jordan from Wisconsin says, We hear the end of a story where Jay Lee ends up in a hallway with only a towel. I'd like you to speculate on how Jay's story started. Uh, give me the Lex Luthor origin story to the towel story, Mike. How did this all begin? Clearly, he's showering, and he's coming up with a plan, uh, but he had used a bar of soap before <laughs> to beat someone senseless that was onto his schemes, oh and so he had to grab another one from the room service cart, but as he did, the door locked behind him. Wow. He was very lucky that the maid didn't investigate any further. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the rule. Like, don't investigate Jay Lee's room, you I know, because he, he, his father would hear about it. Off limits. Eric Divestein, could the American woman that Jay Lee was planning to marry be someone we already know? My theory is that it's Helen, since she's recently admitted she likes bald men. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Or Sarah. Yeah. Sarah works as well. Uh, yeah. Didn't we say that uh, DJ Qualls and Sarah were going to get together, but then he runs off with Starla. So right. maybe Jay Lee uh, sweeps Sarah off her feet. Yeah, Pardon Sarah me. just has is going through a series of rebound men uh, that are just friends of all these other characters. There's a big, elaborate, extended network that I'm sure we could talk about. Uh, Lindy Steiner uh, talking about Kate. Kate looked through the messages in the bottle, seemingly to find Sawyer's note because they didn't get a chance to say goodbye. But did he even write a note? Why would he when he was on the raft? Yeah, I don't know exactly why he would write it. Need to write a note. She's desperate. She's desperate. She's she, she's looking for anything. As if maybe she was expecting him to like MST3K style write like snarky comments in the margins of other people's notes. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> the annotated uh, messages in the bottle. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, all right, this is from Ben, uh, the Ben behind the curtain. Uh, can't he, he just can't with Michael right now? Uh, he says, "I just can't fathom what Michael was doing in this episode at all." Anna announces at the start of the episode that they are going back to the fuselage camp. Isn't that ideal for Michael? He's on the brink of getting back to Jack and Saeed and getting to talk through a proper plan with resources for rescuing Walt. So why does he think it's a good idea to run off into the jungle alone? What the hell, Michael? Uh, Can we just chalk this up to grief? Well, first, yeah, grief. First of all, it's it's his ultimate plan to become part of the plants. And he got one step closer to that. I think that for Michael... When he heard that the others might be nearby, that superseded any sense of rational thought. I think he thought, yep. these, these are the people who took my boy. I mean, we, we see that a bit even in orientation, right? When he assumes that, the, uh, that AAA is an other 
and he's so desperate to to talk with him to get his boy back. I think as soon as Libby says that's where they come from, he puts up the blinders, says, I need to find them because they have my son. Right. Yeah, I think that that all tracks for me. Um, is in the throes of grief at this point. Uh, Benji Holder writes in, so if Cindy and Echo went scouting, Libby and Michael went looking for fruit, and Anna Lucia, Bernard, and Jin went fishing, did Sawyer just sit there? Yeah, this is my whole thing. Why didn't Sawyer like, try to do anything? It's so shocking to me. Well, listen, you talked about how Sawyer was a bad tracker. What if he did try to escape and he ran around in a big old circle back to where he came from? Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> that's just another deleted scene. Yeah, exactly. Ah, that's so great. Um, all right. Uh, how about, uh, is there is there any, any Jim Fells music analysis notes you want to bring into the conversation here? I talked about Sun and Jin's new theme. The other thing is uh, during the scene when we're looking for the others, you hear a low little string plunked out. That becomes the other's main motif. So it gets introduced here when we actually, quote unquote, see the others. They're not in the garb that we're necessarily used to, but that's going to be something that's obviously going to be used a lot. So yeah, there's a lot of repetition of that theme in Jin and Sun's theme. So actually a pretty foundational episode for some musical motifs later on. Uh, Jim had some, uh, what he described as gross outfit trivia for us, uh, for, for Lost. I alluded to this earlier. Uh, this is from Jim. Echo puts on his dirty yellow shirt in the background in this episode when they're inside the Arrow. He takes off his bloodied suit and shirt after killing the others on the first day after the crash and throughout the other 48 days. He's walking around shirtless. That means he puts the shirt back on for the first time here and he will wear it until he's forced into a new one while he's unconscious after the hatch implosion. Then he well, dies meet- shortly after. He's meeting new people. There's a dress code. Don't you think like maybe he can find like an intact shirt when he links up with the oceanic people? Don't you think anyone would be like, hey, guy, like we've got shirts. We even have laundry now. You could but- wash it. I mean, he is a man of the cloth, Josh, or at least he's <laughs> pretending to be. And that cloth happens to be this ratty shirt. Yeah. He doesn't change his outfit at all until it's like the very end of the line. And then he has like this sort of like uh, neon lemon shirt. It's the return of the citrus. It's not quite orange, but I'm in love anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like a lemon lime. It's like a lemon lime shirt. And look, what happens, Josh? The one time he changes his clothes, he dies. So I it's think true. that shows Good to point. him, like, yeah. that's super It's like Samson with the beard. Like, he just shouldn't have changed the shirt. Yeah, he's shirtsin. Uh, we had some other feedback that we we, we got to keep going. Uh, but this one was really funny. Uh, a lot of people had some responses to the van and the, <laughs> and the Scarla attacks as well. Uh, Phoebe Nugent had said, hey, at Mike Bloom type, what the actual cluck? Uh, but the best one I thought was from at Rockdale Tiger, who said, who that gas station attendant leaving with? <laughs> well, oh man. Anyway, that was still the best thing ever. Uh, let's get to the twenty-three points. Let's let's hand out MVP and LVP points this week, Mike. You've got two MVP points. I've got three. Uh, I've got two LVP points, Mike. You've got three. Uh, I guess I'll start with a very easy Mister Echo MVP point. This is the Mister Echo coming out party, and I think it's a great coming out party. I'll co-sign. Coming out party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, even though he could have made some more machetes instead of boomerangs tied to sticks. Yeah, I don't know that there's like any further elaboration you need from me on why Mr. Echo gets an MVP point. You say you give him one as well. 
I'll give him one as well. Yeah, okay. So that's two for Mr. Echo. I'll give my second MVP point. Uh, I think it requires no further elaboration why Jin is going to get an MVP point here. Double down. Another yeah. one to Jin for me. All right. Wow. We're trucking through. And then I get the final MVP point. And like, yeah, maybe she like kind of murdered some plant people. Uh, but great acting from Yunjin Kim this week. Uh, really powerful story from Sun. Uh, it was, uh, I maintain uh, one of the most expressive actors on Lost is, is Yunjin Kim. So great a Sun. Uh, her first MVP point of season two. Uh, so that'll, that was the fastest we've ever gone through an MVP before. How, yeah, only, how, how about the LVP? Are we going to be able to truck through this, or is this going to take a while? I think so. I've got three points. I'm giving two to Mr. Kim here. Uh, he is not a good person. Yeah, he's a bad guy. I have two uh, LVP points to give out, and I'm just going to dump them on him as well. Uh, Whoa! He's, 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 Mr. Aw- he's an awful man. He's an Mr. awful Kim man. Mr. Kim is in, like, Randy Nation's territory. In fact, we'll get to it. He might even surpass Randy he's, Nation. He's, just a, he's, a, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. I assume you're going to give one to Jay Lee. Yeah, yeah sure. because we know the plans that he has rolling around in that bald head of Jeez, his. God, uh, the baldism. But also, lot. I mean, he does. I mean, I, I think it's brought up best in one of our others. Like, she does not necessarily have the best regard for Sun with the the plans that he comes up with here. So granted, he'll try to make up for it later on in his own way in the glass ballerina. But for now, not a great showing for son of the hotel magnet. All right. Well, it was almost uh, almost a slam dunk against uh, against Mr. Kim. But he he walks away with just negative four. But that just negative. That is enough to make him the current uh, LVP of season two. Uh, He just surpasses. Congratulations, Anson Mount. You've been dethroned. He's righted the ship. Uh, And then Mr. Echo, uh, who got an MVP point uh, a couple weeks ago for the beatdown, gets two more this week. So now he has three. He and Kate are tied in first place. For the season two MVP. Oh, wow. So when we talked about who the season two MVP might be, our prediction of Echo might actually become a reality. I think think it's actually a pretty solid prediction. Uh, I think that there's potential here. Um, All right. The 4.2 stars. We rank every single episode of Lost on a scale of zero to 4.2. I give a score. Mike gives a score. The audience writes in with their scores. We average the audience score up for a third data point. We average those three data points together for the official down the hatch rating. Let's see where we are with Ooh and Found, which I think I gave the previous Quan episodes a 3.6 is my memory. Yeah, you, you gave a 3.6 to House of the Rising Sun, and you gave a 3.6 to In Translation as well. Yeah, this episode isn't quite as good as those episodes, I don't think, but I actually think it's close. I'm giving it a 3.5. Lost, it, 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 it's where it meets you. And this episode really met me in a place where I really re- responded to Ooh and Found. Uh, I had a great time with this episode this week. It was like a great hangout episode of Lost, a vibes episode, uh, getting to see so many of the different characters just kind of like in normal human situations, getting Jin and Echo on the run together, like tracking down Michael. It's very visual. It's not very talky, but it's really good anyway. And the flashback is so sweet. Uh, this is a pretty easy, like, this is a really good episode of Lost to me. Like, this this episode is, like, very representative of how the average episodes of Lost are great uh, mm. and why this is my favorite show of all time. Yeah, so I gave How's the Rising Sun a 3.8. I gave Ooh in Translation a 3.6. I'll keep going down the even numbers here. I'm going to give this a 3.4, so not too far from yours. I agree that I like this probably the least 
out of our quan centric episodes, but that's really damning with faint praise because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I'll admit, I did not initially see that when I first watched this episode, but I think this is one of these episodes where the more you dissect it and the yeah. more you talk about it, especially from a character perspective, there's a lot. There's, it's much, much richer than you initially think. Even something as light as Sun loses her wedding ring is actually a canvas where they really paint a lot of interesting character choices onto it. So, I mean, I think it's no coincidence that it was written by the big two themselves. I think they were able to really take advantage of this real estate from a pretty, you know, uh, a, a pretty fluffy plot and were able to make something substantial out of it. On top of that, some really interesting visuals, some interesting mythology introduced with the infamous feet shot. I think there's some genuinely sweet moments in here, some genuinely emotional moments in here. So I would actually say that this episode, I think this episode could hang with season one. And I think that's probably the highest praise I can give an episode it, of Lost. It feels, so. it feels, it feels of a piece with that. Like it, it definitely feels like a season one episode in a lot of ways. So I really enjoyed watching this. The audience did too. It's a three point one audience score, which is really good. I think for an episode like this, a uh, pretty wide range. I think I've seen as high as a four uh, for Ooh and Found, uh, and I've seen as low as a two point two. Uh, Riley Wigmore, I see you with your 3.5 that I also share. We wigs must stick together. Uh, so with the 3.5, the 3.4, and the 3.1, that averages out uh, to the down the hatch official score of 3.32, which puts ooh and found smack dab in the middle of season two thus far. The rankings ooh. are man of science, man of faith in first place, orientation in second place, ooh and found in third. Everybody hates Hugo in fourth and adrift in a very cushy last place i am so surprised i did not think this would edge out everybody hates hugo because again when i was it watching doesn't for the, the audience it does for you and me right when i was watching this for the first time again i'm like oh i think everybody hates hugo like that last act is just beautiful and there's fun stuff going on but again the more i got into this episode the more i think i appreciated the substantiation that Anne found brought maybe everybody hates hugo was like eating an ice cream sundae and Anne found is taking a steak and dipping it into mashed potatoes. <laughs> Both are pretty heavy. Uh, yeah, it's like a walk through the jungle. You know, it was great. It was such a good time. Um, so that's where we stand. And it's a pretty, uh, it's a, it's a pretty close call between Ooh and found and everybody hates Hugo. It's a 3.32 uh, for Ooh and found versus 3.29 for everybody hates Hugo. So Still room for that to fluctuate as these scores are, of course, in flux all season long. We'll lock them in uh, once we get to the end of the season. And then we'll see uh, where season two's episodes fit alongside season one for, for our grand master list of uh, lost episode rankings. Next week, Mike, a very big episode of Lost. We're, we're beginning an arc next week. Uh, with the Shannon Rutherford centric abandoned oof. Uh, dropping, well, drop was that oof abandoned? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's that's sort of the, the the ellipsis in parenthetical. I mean, I guess it's really interesting how we have seen outside of the premiere literally none of Not Shannon, a lot of Shannon. But be yeah. prepared to see her a lot in this episode, and particularly her dead body. By well, the end her dead episode. body will be much more in the in in, in collision. In collision, weeks, yeah. But we're gonna get the start of that. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that. I think that there's things to really enjoy about Abandoned and then probably things to be like, huh? You know, so we'll we'll get into that. And it is the beginning of the next three weeks. We're kind of, uh, we're in Rashomon territory again to a certain degree. Uh, there will be like some relitigating of that final uh, moment of Abandoned across these three episodes. 
Uh, we will do that throughout the month of March. It's going to drop March 6th, the band. Ooh, just like Anna Lucy and the Tailies and Sawyer and Jin and Michael are marching forward right mm-hmm. now to meet up with 815. That's right. Get your feedback in by the morning of March 3rd. Uh, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type. Subscribe. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. You can subscribe, as we said, on Spotify to Post Show Recaps. You can subscribe to Down the Hatch on Apple, postshowrecaps.com slash Down the Hatch, but wherever you get your podcasts, we are available to you. Uh, Mike Bloom, this is the part where I say, what else do you have going on? But I'll just uh, start by saying this is the first of four podcasts I'm recording today. Uh, and We've managed to get it pretty close to like a, a clean two hours. Pretty happy with that for the pace that I have to set for myself today as I'm going to be doing the Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast that by Uh the time this drops, you will be able to listen to the Better Call Saul premiere podcast, which by the time this podcast drops, you have been able to listen to and the Walking Dead podcast, the Walking Dead returned uh, with Jessica Lee. Jess and I recorded uh, our podcast about that as well. So, so many great things happening on Post Show Recaps. I know you and Jess are doing things as well. Yeah, we're doing Star Trek Picard, which is now in its back half. Super intriguing episode five that we talked about. This is interesting, Josh, because like this is the first chronologically podcast you're recording, but the last one that will be released. Is there something that like... Time travel. Can you put like an inside joke in one of the Mm -hmm. other three podcasts that people won't understand until they listen to it here? Should I try and suggest that a character in every single one of the shows that I'm podcasting about is a plant of some variety? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to see if I can Whether you say like, oh, they're a plant, like they're an audience plant or they're a literal plant. I think that's going to be a nice shout out to the Hatchlings. All right, so we'll see if I was able to do that. Call me out if I was not uh, call me out. Hopefully I'm, able to, <laughs> hopefully I'm able to figure it out. Uh, the wand off is lit. That's happening over at RHAP final season of the wand off Mike Bloom, the B and B also lit as survivor 40 is a really fun time here in the podcast sphere. Uh, any other survivor shenanigans you want to plug? I'm sure. Well, by the time this comes out, who knows who's been voted off? Uh, yeah, lot, who knows what's going of- on? Lots of writing going on uh, on Parade.com slash tag slash Survivor. Doing interviews every week, not with the players of this season, but the people who played with the players of this season, which has been a lot of fun to go over Survivor history. And the last thing I will plug is that apparently on Jin's resume, his email was jinsu 74 at yahoo.com. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, maybe we should uh, email it, see if we get a bounce back. Yeah, exactly. But it'll be all in Korean. Uh, Mike, give it a shot. I, I task you with this job. Okay, what should I send a message? Or Detective Douglas, if you want to get on the case. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. Detective Douglas could like ping some IP addresses and find out who the true culprit is behind the Jinsu74 at yahoo.com All right. email. If we have an update on that front by next week, we shall deliver it. I, I suspect we will not. Next week, we will say bon voyage to Shannon Rutherford as we get into oof, abandoned. <laughs> uh, but that for us, we'll do it here for ooh and found a really fun time on the podcast with you this week, Mike. Hope everybody enjoyed. We will be back next week with another episode of Down the Hatch. Until then, everybody take care. Goodbye. Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two.